What's up, Creepers? Michael here, bringing you another edition of the Freeloader series. Freeloader series number eight. This episode originally aired way, way, way back in February 2018. So, if you haven't been a patron, then you wouldn't have heard it. But that's okay, because this is for the freeloaders. You get your, you get your patronage. You get your, you get your patron, you get your patronage. Or, anyways, you get your Patreon shit, but two years later, okay? That's that's fair. I think that's fair, and that's, guys, because we want you to hear it. You know, we want you to hear it overall, and also it's fun for us to go back and listen to these old episodes and see how we haven't learned anything. Okay. All right, guys. So this is BTK. Oh. Let's just say, hypothetically, you didn't want to be a freeloader anymore. Just hypothetically, hypothetically, okay? I'm not getting crazy. But if you just got anxious for a little more true crime guys, you can go to patreon.com slash true crime guys and just for two little dollars a month, two dollars a month, that's like not even half your Starbucks coffee, okay? You can get a ton of true crime guys episodes. All right, all right, I'll leave you alone about it. All right, guys, enjoy Dennis Rader, BTK. See you on the other side for ads and shout outs. Peace. So what's up? This is the uh, like eleventh Patreon exclusive Tenth, episode. I think tenth. This yeah. is number ten. This is number ten. Dennis Rader, BTK, hey, number ten. Tenth anniversary. He doesn't deserve it. Nah. Well, he he is kind of. We're like really gonna tear this guy all... apart, people. Yeah, it's gonna. We be know fun. that like he's got a special place in your hearts. <laughs> I had a hell of a fun time studying him because yeah. he's fascinating, but he's also so goddamn boring at the same time. But he's, he's also he... fascinating. <laughs> he's fascinating. Well, half his of outer is... appearance was so boring. It was, but really. Boring. He was not boring. He was no. about as strange as it gets inside. But I he think ca- it's fitting that he's number ten, really, because he's like all serial killers rolled into one. Yeah, he's like got a little bit of all. But he, he also has some, serial killers. But he also has some things that are completely unique to him, like that no other serial killers I can think. Like I what? Can, like his ability to just disappear for years and years and years on end and then reappear, like a phantom. He's a phantom killer. I don't feel like he had anything that was his. I feel like he copied. Who everybody. else did that? Who else disappeared for thirty years? Well, I mean, nobody disappeared for 30 years. But. That's why, because he was so boring. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> he could just go right back into obscurity. Jack the Ripper. I feel like he was kind of like... still. Well, I mean, no, no one knows what happened to him. He could have been dead right after the last victim. Hey, fair enough. <laughs> but he didn't get caught. Right. Um, I mean, I guess Zodiac. But Zodiac never really reappeared. Right. Did he? He probably didn't use floppy disk either. No. That's why he lasted so long. God, this guy was so dumb. <laughs> So dumb. Dude, you gotta that's what happens when you take too long off serial killing. You get out of the game, you're out of practice. Right. You gotta study the current game. Your old man river back there. Yeah, these floppy right. discs traceable. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like Brett Favre coming back to the Vikings. <laughs> this was a bad idea. Right. The game has changed. <laughs> right. They're gonna break you in half, Brett. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, he's he's a crazy one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you wanna get into him? I guess so. So we, we can must. actually talk about the guy? Right, yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, All right, let's do it. All right. New information about what may have driven BTK to kill 10 people. Kikskara Kamari is in East Wichita with the latest. What did you do then? Uh, strangled her. What did you strangle her with? Pantyhose. What happened then? Dennis Rader was really trying to push away his demon. I already figured out my... I had a you know, plan on leaving and uh, put her in a blanket and drug her to the car, put her in the trunk of the car. So you were able to strangle her to death with his pantyhose? Yes, sir. When his mother spanked him, it caused both pain and pleasure. All right, you put her in your car. Her, her car. car. Her car. Her car. Her car. Her car. 
of Trump ever talked about? What happened there? Uh, I think it's just a, a fantastically interesting case about somebody who thinks they can deny their inner reality, you know, deny who they are, whether it's on a sexual level or a religious le level or a psychological level. I really had a commitment I needed to go to, so I moved her to one spot, took her out of her car. This gets complicated. We can all look at him and say, yes, he's the absolute epitome of evil and monstrosity. But what circumstances created that in him? Then the stuff I had, clothes, gun, whatever, I took that to another spot in her car, dumped that off, okay, then took her car back to her house. These are the kind of dynamics that can lead to really bad behavior. Okay, in the interim, I took her car back to her house. In the interim, I realized that I had lost one of my guns. I dropped it somewhere. So I was just trying to figure out where my gun was. So I went back in the house, realized I had dropped it when I went in the, when I broke this plate glass window. It dropped and fell on the floor right there, and I found it right there. So that solved that problem. If he goes into the Army, maybe that'll take care of it. If he gets married, maybe that'll take care of it. If they join the church, maybe that'll take care of it. Nothing took care of it. Anyway, I went back out, uh, threw the keys, uh, checked the car real quick, quick like, threw the keys up on top of the roof of her house, walked from her car back to my car. He was a compliance officer for the city of Park City, and he was kind of a, a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. He was kind of in charge of the dog catcher there. The, the dog team. catcher? So mm-hmm, right. You know, exactly right. I, I he know was part... this is going to make a lot of people mad, but when I think dog catcher, I have very bad connotations. With my car drove it back, and I either dropped more stuff off, or I picked her up and put them in my car. And then I drove up uh, northeast of uh, Cedric County and dropped her off underneath the bridge. We have one report where he was measuring the length of grass in the front With yard and ruler. writing citations because of that. With a ruler? Yeah. So all of these incidents, these 10 counts, because you wanted to satisfy a sexual fantasy, is that correct? Yes. And he was the president of his Lutheran church congregation here in Wichita. They could not believe that this was the same man who sat in their pews. Dennis Rader, BTK, hey, number 10. Hey, 10th anniversary. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. All right, our case this week is Dennis Rader. You guys know him. You guys know him. Have, we, have they heard of him? BTK. Oh, yeah, that guy. We that. should use his his acronym his 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 letters to create another like more like terrible name for him. Oh wow! Yeah, we should have planned right for on this. the spot. Yeah, right on the spot. Uh, bald, uh, <laughs> terrible killer man. <laughs> bald, that's not bad. The first, just bald, on the spot. <laughs> on the spot. Bald, terrible killer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was bind, torture, kill. For the longest time, before I really looked into him, I used to think it was blind torture kill for some reason. Oh, blind torture. <laughs> you fucking poked their eyes out first. <laughs> oh, wow. Got, That's went to, crucial. Went to the old school crucial. eye gouge move. Yeah. He, he really wasn't much of a torturer, in my opinion. I feel like... Some of the other people we studied. That's an underutilized move, the, the old two-finger-to-the-eye poke. Yeah. 
like just under, in general. Underutilized? Yeah, just yeah. in general. Like if you're trying to. Well, that's because the Stooges taught us how to defend it. Yeah, with, with the, the other hand, with the hand on the nose. Yeah, so it's it's. You gotta, be, you gotta be. You gotta be quick. Gotta be see real quick. You gotta be quick. Or why not just use both hands? <laughs> it's <laughs> no. unstoppable. I guess it's unstoppable. No, I like the old school. All right. What are we, just what, better hope they're not on to you. How'd we end up here? I don't know. <laughs> so buy and torture, kill. Right. Um, he had ten victims. We'll just do a quick synopsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, disappeared for thirty years at one point. Right. Just about thirty years. Just lived a normal life. Well, twenty. It was twenty something years technically from his last like twenty seven, right? His last like, uh, like co- conversation with the police. Yeah. Until he reappeared, but it was almost thirty years exactly from his first victim to when he reappeared in in two thousand four. Wow, that's a long time, man. It's a roller coaster ride for his victims that survived, like the family members of the victims, oh, yeah. and like how pe- many people died in that thirty years and never got closure? You know, right? What happened to or their, like their loved ones? Certain, some people will talk about who, like uh, the husband of one of the people women that he killed, was like looked at sideways for like eighteen years. Oh yeah, because yeah. Because everybody suspected him of right. killing her, and we watched uh, a documentary. Well, we talk. You want to talk about the books and the, the things we used to study, which were plentiful. Yeah, sure. What was um, that documentary uh, you were watching when I came in? It's called "I Survived BTK." Michelle K actually recommended it to us. It was basically they followed around Charlie Otero, and we'll yeah. get we'll get pretty quickly into the Otero murders, which were his first killings. Right, BTK, and um, Charlie Otero was an older sibling of the family that wasn't home at that at the time. And it follows him in the 2000s, right around 2004 when BTK reemerged. Right. It followed him around and like heard his side of the whole thing. And like you see how it's affected his life. He's been like in and out of jail. Yeah. And it also talked to, um, it, it talked to Steve Relford, who was a five year old at the time that his mother was murdered by BTK. We'll get into that one later. Right. And you could see how messed up he was from it. He said that his life was completely fucked by Dennis Rader. Right, Charlie's seemed to be too. Yeah. Oh no, no doubt. Both both of these dudes, they never really recovered from it, from what they suffered from at a young age by this guy. And you just, it's good to see that. It's good. It's just good to see. Like, it's sad, but Mm -hmm. it gives you some perspective on how serious this is and how it affects everyone, not just the victim, but the entire family, forever. Like they're never the same. And some people just never recover from it when your mother's killed at a young age by this person and. Yeah, it really is hard to put it into perspective. It's it's easy to go, well, these happened 30, 40 years ago, but when the effects are when you can still see the effects now, it's yeah. just like, damn. Yeah. It's just that much more devastating. Like Charlie Otero, I was just watching him and you could just you can just sense that he probably on a daily basis wonders what his life would be like if his four family members had not been killed. His oh, mother, every his day, father, you his have to. brother yeah. and his sister. Yeah. Every day you must like, wonder that. He, he must uh, every holiday get really sad thinking like what would Christmas be like with my family, you know, right. just all this stuff. So, and then, but yeah, it was a really good documentary, and thanks Michelle for recommending that. And there was also some conspiracy to it. He was kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, the public knowledge that's out there that Dennis Rader did this. He he kind of found it hard to believe that one man could have done this to his family. That mm-hmm. it, it's it just I think, but in, in in a sense, he's kind of he doesn't want to believe that one guy could do that. You know, it's, right. he doesn't want to believe that his father could be overpowered by this guy with his mother there and his and like he. Right. I think he's just just. It's hard to accept. It which is hard I, to accept. It, it, no matter what, it would be so. And he doesn't want to give that one guy the satisfaction, right? Either of taking down the whole family, right? But honestly, I don't think I don't think Raider would have. He, he's not going to let anybody know. I mean, that's just the type of person he is. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have anybody there because then that person would have seen that side of him and lived. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. 
So. Fuck. What are you doing? Playing your books? So everybody can hear it? Too. Let's just play the book, man. Let's just take a day off. Let's just take a day. Executive producer. There we go. We'll just <laughs> you can tell I finished it. <laughs> yeah, right. He's giving credits. Right. Uh, so the book that I got was Inside the Mind of BTK, the story behind the 30-year hunt for no- the notorious Wichita serial killer by legendary <laughs> FBI profiler John Douglas, who was the guy that wrote the book Mind Hunter. Yeah. The basically the main character in the show Mind Hunter, but it was based right. off of John Douglas, who was uh, in the FBI forever. Um, extremely well respected in the the crime world, as far as a guy who um, kind of has this thumb in the uh, in the mind of a serial killer, if that's an expression at so all. So that was from the mind of the detective, pretty much from the point of view. From the point of view, yeah. The, a lot of the book is spent just. It, that's the only parts that bother me. Is some of the book is like it's just too much about him. Yeah, yeah. you know, like he's talking about well, laying in bed next to his wife and like yeah. the thoughts that are in his head and this and that. But it, in a sense, it's still interesting because he's it. He talked a lot about how much it affected him, just constantly. Like he was obviously, if you watch the show Mindhunter, he would interview these. He talked about his interview with Richard Speck, mm-hmm. um, and you saw that reenacted in the show Mindhunter when he squashes the bird. Like he talks about that kind of stuff, but yeah. just how much it affected his daily life and his life with his wife and how he couldn't sleep at times because this stuff, you know, he, he wanted to catch these guys so bad. And, right, and, right. Like, and you're like, viewing the crime. tell me about Dennis Rader. Right. <laughs> but then it got into that. I got like, you. I was almost giving up on the book early, in the early chapters. I'm like, all right, enough about yourself, bro. Like, yeah, come yeah. on, I'm trying, I, I'm reading this to learn about BTK. And then he went well, deep into BTK. Yeah. And the book's like 12 hours long and like, I'd say a good 10 hour, ten hours of it are still about BTK, his childhood, his them hunting him, which was really fascinating to learn about how they you know, how crazy he drove them for so long and then how right. great it was when they finally caught him. And just, and then it, like they had, he had so much details about the actual crimes themselves because he had access to all the police files, all the police photos. He had, he had access to BTK's journal, you know, all that stuff. So right. he got into the mind of this guy big time. Oh, hell yeah. So that is cool. Yeah. Mine it's a great was, book. Mine was a little bit different. Uh, it was from like, I guess, a third party that had just done a lot of research and a lot of interviews and the people that were involved. Yeah. Um, but it was called, uh, BTK Unholy Messenger by Stephen Singular. Um, a lot, a lot about his religious talked, life, right? It was. It was a lot. It actually focused on his pastor a lot. Hmm. Uh, pastor. Well, uh, that's something Michael that I Clark. didn't get. I didn't get any of that from my book. They barely mentioned oh, that he was man. in the church at all. So it'll be good Dude, to get your. He perspective. He talked about that pastor so much. I was like, he did it. He's behind <laughs> it. He's behind it all. Fucking Pastor Clark. He right. did it. <laughs> sure. He had to have. He, right. he just brainwashed Dennis to take the fall. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, I don't know. But they really did talk about him a lot in this book, but it was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, he has his own demons, and he's one of the people that never gave up on Dennis. He was still visiting him every week all through the trial and everything, two times a week, actually. Which is kind of crazy because like, we were watching the documentary that we were just talking about uh, with the Otero boy and everything, and yeah. like they were showing a woman who was standing outside the church at his uh, hearing, and she was saying how he, the church is against him because he hasn't oh, like, no, came clean about his sins or he hasn't. Well, she's talking about the church as a whole. She's talking about these are a lot of these outside churches were protesting his church. Right. Like telling them like, oh, you know, uh, you must be doing wrong. How can you, how can you be supporting this man? Blah, 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 or right. whatever. Well, there, the other church's main issue was that he, he didn't have any remorse. He didn't repent. Right. Like it was more, he, he acknowledged what he did, and, yeah. he, and he came clean about it, but at the same time, he showed no remorse or anything like that. He didn't felt that he'd done anything wrong, it seemed, because these yeah. guys are just a monster. Well, the Bible doesn't say if you confess your sins and show remorse. It's, it, uh, that doesn't it, matter. Huh? That doesn't matter, no. So the other churches are wrong? His <laughs> church is right? 
I don't know. <laughs> Shit. That's Shit. another conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> I want to make it clear, though. John Douglas, uh, he was not like a main investigator. He was just someone that uh, Wichita police did kind of go to uh, to get a profile on. Yeah. And he kind of took it upon himself and became obsessed with um, BTK throughout his career. He kept going back. He, he was busy with other cases and whatnot. Right. He's a busy guy. But he kept going back to BTK because he just found it so fascinating. He would check up on him. He would check up on Wichita police. And then at the end, after he retired from the FBI, he dove in headfirst to <laughs> try and help catch the guy and, and uh, gave a lot of important um, advice to the police in Kansas to help catch this guy. So I don't want to make it sound like he was the guy that caught BTK because he wasn't. But, right. but John Douglas, I mean, if, if you're into true crime, you must know who he is by now, especially if you watch Mindhunter and... Looking forward right. to season two, where BTK will be, I'm guessing, the main character in, in oh, season really? two. They're kind of like keep showing little clips of yeah. of Dennis Rader oh. like here and there throughout season. You got to watch right. it, man. Yeah, don't crucify me, but I haven't seen any of it yet. Oh, you're tripping. I know. Such a good show. I didn't know you had watched already. You had already watched of the course. season. Of course. I know. I'm behind. Call yourself a true crime fan. I'm studying for our fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> yeah, sure. You already watched it way before this. All right. So Dennis Rader, he was born March 9th, 1945. He shares a birthday with Matthew Greg Gubler. Who the fuck is that? Um, oh, he's uh, Spencer on Criminal Minds. Who? Spencer. Who? He's like the really smart guy. He's Who's, like the, I don't watch he's the guy Minds. that gets in the... He lives in Las Vegas. I don't watch Criminal Minds. Wow. See, I guess I'm a bad true crime fan. His his mom owns the uh, ranch in Sandy Valley, like the big ranch. I've Sandy never Valley been. To, I haven't been to Sandy Valley. Call yourself a freaking native. He also shares a birthday with Bow Wow. Now that I can get him bored with. <laughs> can you? Yeah. Wonder what he's up to now. Last time I heard, he was posing in front of a jet or some shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was like, he was like, oh, that's right. He yeah. was like, he was trying to up. act like it was his yeah. jet, and it Somebody wasn't. Else's. He's like in coach. Right. <laughs> like, hey, could you uh, get out of these seats? I'm trying to take a selfie. Right. <laughs> yeah, you got right it out. <laughs> trying to look empty up in here. <laughs> uh, Raider was the oldest of four sons. His parents were William and Dorothy Raider. He was born in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Um, some interesting facts I learned from the book was that his ancestors came over from Bavaria. And the name Raider came from the word rate, which meant that his fa- his ancestors were wheelwrights. They uh, they made like the wooden wheels for carriages and whatnot. Oh. And when Raider, I guess when he became aware of this, he started drawing pictures at a young age of women tied to these carriage wheels. Well, it's good to get in touch with your roots. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, his, his ancestors built them, and now he's using them in a really creepy, unnatural yeah. way. Yeah, wheel of torture. <laughs> I'm sure they're proud <laughs> from the grave. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably down there. I'm sure Raiders are still doing good things. We're rolling over on our wheels. <laughs> this is ridiculous. His paternal grandparents were cousins, so there may be some inbreeding situation going on here. You don't know that. Because he is could a be cousins by marriage. Big Lord. notch on the side of nature, this guy. Really? Just gonna talk I'm just gonna bring it up now. The only okay. thing that was we're going here already. Yes, okay. we are. The, All right. The only thing that was abnormal about Dennis Rader's childhood uh-huh. was Dennis Rader. That's the only thing that was abnormal. <laughs> you were about fucking it. right. <laughs> it's the way he interpreted shit. I just wanted to be like, not that weird, not that weird, right? Not that weird. Not an excuse, right? His mom got tangled up in some bed sheets, and he acts like that's a reason to start tying up women for the rest of his life. Really? It's like my mom got tangled right. up in bed sheets. What the fuck? Like, I didn't start tying people well, up. Were you masturbating one day and tripped and got tangled up in the shower curtain? Right. And you're like, oh. Right. What the hell, man? <laughs> oh, man. For the first five years of his life, he spent um, on his grandparents' farm where he 
got enjoyment, an unnatural enjoyment out of watching his grandmother behead chickens and run around without their head on. Honestly, I think all kids find that fascinating. Yes. Come so on. So you can look at it if in a really... you seen a chicken run around with its head cut off, you're really not living as a child. I haven't, man. Oh, you haven't? No, I might oh. have to YouTube it. <laughs> yeah, YouTube it. <laughs> My <laughs> grandfather didn't even, uh, he wasn't even, a, he didn't even chop it. He just was like swinging around until the oh, body yeah, flung yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've bird hunted, so I've yeah. pulled birds' heads off and stuff. I don't like it, but <laughs> I don't enjoy it at all. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. I pulled. I, I my dad. What, what took were those me, pictures of it that I found though the other day in the studio? It was kind of odd. They're tied up. Yeah. Uh, don't mention. Don't mention. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I went bird hunting with my dad, dove hunting, and uh, I shot one dove, and it was like so alive when I went over and got it from under yeah. this bush, and I had to pull its head off, and I was like, I'm not. I'm done bird hunting. I don't like this. Did you hear what it sounded like? Like when I like the doves cry. No. When they cry. Yeah. One single tear drop drop. <laughs> this is bad, man. No. This is really dark. This if you if you're an animal lover, I'm sorry for yeah, this conversation. But like it was enough to where I'm like I don't think this is worth it. I mean I, I get it for sport and everything, but like yeah. one dove is like a fucking it's it's like a an appetizer. It's like a little snack. Like taking that life for that. I mean I get that they have to be the population has to be controlled, right. and that's it half of what hunting pointless. is. That's what people don't understand is like populations of animals that the wildlife control does a really good job of like managing our populations of animals, and it's right, important. Right. Like you can't have like if you live in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Like if, if the if the deer population isn't controlled, you, yeah. no one would be able to drive. Like it'd be so out of control. That's why they right. give like these just sell tags over the counter and stuff. Like they, yeah. they do a good job of managing it. Like people don't just get to kill as many animals as they want. You know what I mean? It's it's for right. a purpose. But like dove hunting, I didn't enjoy it because I, I just didn't enjoy killing the bird. And then it's like at least if I kill one deer, I can eat almost for a year on it. You know? Right, right. I get I could really see the point to that one life, as opposed to bird hunting, where it just seems like people just enjoy it too much for very little reward yeah. other than the actual killing itself. So okay. I don't know. This is a conversation I didn't expect to go down. That's okay. But I think that what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm very much not like Dennis Rader here. We're, we're, no. no. <laughs> like <laughs> Lauren, Dennis Rader, completely different things. Right. Let's go ahead and establish Let's just make that. that clear. Okay, yeah. guys. All right. <clears throat> um, his father was tough and fair, according to Dennis Rader, in his own journals and conversations he had with investigators later on. Um, he looked up to his father. Um, no abuse. Uh, he 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 refused to accept, even though they they pushed him. Like they they had to think that there was some abuse in his childhood. He yeah. he always steadfastly denied it. You know said, what? No. I don't think there was because I don't either. He, he he just went along. He was a he was a follower. Yeah, he was a people pleaser. He was a follower. Like he was a chameleon. He would give people what they wanted because he, he was a psychopath from a young see. age. Yeah, he didn't know what emotion was. He tried right. to fake it. Yeah, we've had guys like this. We've studied in the past where. Right, and he just he he does something, and he notices emotions in other people, and he's like, okay, they seem to like that. Right. They now he they, kept a tiny squirt bottle he could squirt in his eyes and cry at the right moment. Yeah. Like that type of guy. <laughs> right. Or he'd just poke himself in the eye and right. like make it look like he's crying. Right. Exactly. Oh, is that what we're doing at this funeral? Okay. All right. Oh, is that what you guys do? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's what humans just do. <laughs> right. Uh, his mother uh, was known to have like movie star qualities. They were saying she resembled Natalie Wood. All of the like friends that he had were like you know. You can imagine the conversations that would go on about how hot his mom was and that type of thing. And it seemed like he had a very unnatural uh, infatuation with her himself. Ooh. We talked about, yeah. like, there was one moment when he was young. He started having dark thoughts at three. Three? According how does to he him. even know? According to him. How do... All right, go ahead. Oh, it start, it supposedly, it started with his mom getting tangled up in bed sheets one night when he walked in the bedroom. And it just immediately clicked something in his head, kind of like Dahmer with the bones, his dad digging the bones out from under the home. Yeah. I guess that just... He just liked the idea of like a pretty woman being bound up and like yeah. unable yeah. to do anything in a sense. That is so strange. 
kind of a Norman Bates thing going on. Right. He had a lot of similarities with that, with Norman, like wanting to dress up like women later and things There like were that. guys like him in the past. Like there, there's, yeah. there's, uh, Harvey Glattman is one that he brought up, was a guy that it, it, was, it was way back. I want to say it was in like the 50s or something. If you look up Harvey Glattman, I don't, I'm just talking out of turn. I don't, I don't have the details in front of me. Maybe he's, he'll be one that we study eventually. But right. Harvey Glattman was the same concept where he was just into women being tied up. And that's what it was all about for him. And the killing was almost secondary. It was just he had to have some tied up woman yeah. that he was in control of. It was like the best thing in the world for him. Well, the crazy thing is, is that with the way that these guys are raised in like the very conservative households, mm-hmm. it's like it's more preposterous to think that you could there are people who want like to be tied up. There are people who actually have that type of desire and you could seek those people out and, you know, maybe have relationships with those sorts of right. people or whatever. But I don't think it's he more want... Prepo- no, listen, it's more preposterous to do that than it is to have someone know your secret. Right. Because oh, of I the, you what see saying. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's more... But at the same time, I think half the fun was that they really didn't want to be tied up. I don't think if he found a woman that was into it, that it would, it would be as fun for him. I think half the fun was like, they really don't want to be tied up and I've got them tied up. You know what I mean? Like if she was like, if there was a safe word and all that, I don't think it would be any fun for him. That's just a hunch I, I have. I don't know. I, I just think he couldn't deal with someone seeing that side of him. Right, like if you he beat just, someone in a game but they let you win, like that's no fun. You know what I'm saying? I think that's like that's kind of the way that he would view it. Okay. Like I hate playing my mom at Monopoly because she'll just do shitty trades because she wants like she doesn't she want just me wants to you lose. to be successful in life? Yeah. That's a good mom. <laughs> That's Not really, it's created one. this monster. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking lose at anything. <laughs> Terrible loser. <laughs> it's like, here, Lauren, I'll pay you. Not only am I an only child, Here's but I never grand. lost at anything growing up, so now <laughs> I just cannot right. accept it. Right. Oh, I landed on your thing again. Mom, no, you didn't. I saw what you rolled. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I owe you the money, son. Here you go. It's way too accurate. <laughs> go buy you a boardwalk. <laughs> 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 we keep talking too much about me, but let's okay, get back on sorry, to Dennis Rader here. Um, so, uh, youth, were you or were you done with that whole thought process of the church thing? And um, partially, I'm sure I'll bring it back up again. Yeah, your book was all about it. So, yeah, it was it was a lot about his his spirit spirituality and right. his struggles with that. It was it was very interesting. So, after his capture during interrogations, uh, we'll jump ahead for a minute here just to talk about um, the whole animal torture thing when he was younger he denied at first um in interrogations that he'd ever killed any animals he, he did not want that image kind of like yep. he he still viewed himself as a good christian man absolutely and so like the idea that like he killed his victims and uh we'll, we'll get to it but he never penetrated any of his victims he never technically sexually assaulted right. them because foreign i mean because adultery that's the real crime here right so he looked at it from the sense that he never cheated on his wife mm-hmm. even though he killed these women and like jacked off on them and stuff yeah, he didn't cheat on them because he never penetrated them. The same thing with animals; he could he he couldn't handle the image that he killed animals at a young age. However, he did admit to tying them up and like hanging them and and stuff yeah, like that. Their and, necks. <laughs> and eventually, when they pressed enough, he pretty much admitted yeah. that he killed animals at a young age. He would take them to a barn, mm-hmm. like he would love to. He, he yeah. loved abandoned barns. He just loved the idea of them that they were separated from a house. Yeah, that they were out on their own and that he could do whatever he wanted in there. Yeah, and so he would take cats, dogs. And basically, tie them up, torture them at a young age. God, good what stuff, an animal. man. It's it's a good thing he didn't buy a house with a barn. Can right? You imagine what he would have done with oh that my barn. Goodness. There'd probably be like hidden doors in there and shit. Yeah, be creepy. I want to I want to make it clear though that his this was all completely. He did such an amazing job 
uh, I mean, we see this with serial killers of separating that life from his maybe outward the, persona maybe because the best job. Oh, no doubt that I've ever seen. I mean, he caught killer. people by surprise in yeah. the end. If everyone, his wife, everyone, no, uh, no one believed it right away that he was BTK. When right, he, everyone that heard it was like, "No way, you got the wrong guy." As a kid, he was the kid that other parents want would talk to their kid and say, "Why can't you be more like yeah. Dennis?" Because well, Dennis was polite, he was his brother was told that his own brother was the problem child. Yeah, well, Dennis is also like he was known by the same kids that the parents would tell that as boring. Like he had friends, yeah. but he was the boring friend. He didn't joke. Like he would laugh right. at other people's jokes, but he never joked around. He was just a serious yeah. guy. I would like to think that I would sniff this guy out, but I don't know. I'd have to I know. don't think you would. You don't think so? No, nah. I don't think anybody could have because he's just so boring. But you I tend to think that people that are more. that boring have something. I can't. I, I tend to believe that everyone's a little bit fucked up, and if they don't show it to you, they're doing something even more fucked up behind the scenes. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I think ninety nine percent of people think the opposite, especially on people they know. Like it's easy to pass somebody in a grocery store and say, "Oh man, that dude's creepy as fuck." But right. if that guy came up to you and started having a conversation, maybe about his daughter or something, it's like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, you got." Maybe you have your kids with you, and it's like, "Oh yeah, mine's such and such age." Right. Now when you walk away, you're gonna think that was that was a good guy. Right. You have to. You don't you don't want to walk away and go, right? Was I just like five feet from a serial killer? Right. Well, now we had this conversation, I believe, with um, Richard Ramirez, where you see younger pictures of Richard, yeah, and he looks like a normal guy, but then as his crimes got more heinous, it seemed like he tried t- started to transform into this demon looking person. Yeah, he dude, his appearance became this evil looking monster. How, how much? Of and that it's is- like the same thing with Dennis for me. Like I look at pictures of him when he was young, and I'm like, that's a pretty good looking dude. Like you look at pictures of him in the military. Yeah. You're like, that's a good-looking young dude. It is hard to believe. Doesn't he look evil at all. He, he doesn't yeah. look evil at all in his young pictures. When he gets arrested, he looks like an evil, demonic, yeah. like these eyebrows that are like pinched downward. Like if you were to draw an angry person, like yeah. his eyebrows fit the mold. Yeah. His fucking eyes were lifeless like a fucking shark. It's like if you ever saw an adult on Charlie Brown, that's what they look like. Right. With their eyebrows. <laughs> just no life, man. Just glassy doll <laughs> just, eyes. Just That's it. Demon. But how much of that is, well, not so much with BTK, but like, um, with Richard Ramirez, how much of that was just stress of being on the run? Because he was constant, like towards the, you know, yeah. as it went on, he was constantly moving, oh, yeah. and stressing out. Well, I'm sure BTK felt the same stress. Like, are they going? In the book, yeah. it alluded to the fact that he, in his own mind, he's like waiting for them. To, like, I can't believe they haven't caught me yet. Right, and then he also had the stress of of keeping up this this image in real life. Yep. See, like Ramirez didn't. He's just he's still fucking flipping people the bird and shit walking oh, yeah. down the sidewalk. He didn't give a fuck. No, he, you know. But BTK wasn't. He had to put his shirt and tie on and go to church and pray on Sunday. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of a he had an different interest, animal. He had an interesting series of jobs too, which was be will be fun to talk about as yeah. we progress through this. And just it's like so perfect for a guy who's just trying to cover up for being a serial killer. It really is <laughs> totally under the radar. All right. Um, so in his childhood, we talked about him killing animals and stuff, and the weird obsession with his mother. Um, he also incessant. This is when, around the time when he started incessantly drawing dark images of women being tied up, and he just like could not like you've seen Super Bad where the kid can't stop drawing dicks. Yeah, he cannot stop drawing pictures of women being tied up <laughs> to save his life. Like he's in the back of class just drawing yeah. up chicks being tied up. Yeah. Oh my god. And he was uh, supposedly obsessed with those crime magazines that we talked about in the Ted Bundy episode. Oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The, true, the detective magazines where it would show those images of, of beautiful women being tied up or whatnot. Reenactments, yeah. And it's like, to the right person, to the right set of genetics, that could be something that would really like just fuel that fire that they have in them. 
Yeah, or they could... But you can't blame the magazines. You know, it's just no. it's just like violent video games. You can't bl- blame them because right. ultimately that person would still find something else that would take them down that path. You know, like, right, right. No, if if you immediately jump, if anything, to, it oh, almost I, I need to tie someone up and kill them from that. Then right, you, you got another problem. I think you could almost point to him and say that these things might have actually prevented more murders because they kind of filled his. Fa- he was really good at filling his own fantasies. Like mm-hmm. that's a big reason for the big layoffs and yeah. killings. Is that he would do one, take a bunch of photographs, start to recreate it in his mind in a, in a perfect sense. Yeah, like the killings were never as good as his own fantasies, according to him. Like there was always imperfections that they would always fight in a way that he didn't want them to. Or, right. Like in his own mind, he could create the perfect crime, and he would do it with photographs of women. He would do the drawings that he would do, which, which yeah. they were perfect in his own mind. Right. And I, he started I, doing that at a young age. I think the reason those drawings and stuff came to fruition is because he was. He was made his whole life to be ashamed of these, to these feelings, to these emotions. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't. In the way he was raised, in I mean, the conservative Kansas household, in he the was 60s, raised seventies. Yeah, you can't even bring that shit up. Right, you can't even bring it up. It's like people are like, oh, you could have talked to some. No, he couldn't have talked to somebody. Like right. in in the in where he's raised mm-hmm. and like. This is upbringing, his church. Yeah, you you just can't bring that. Oh, stuff it's so up. good. You'll that, never be the same. It's so good that in today, like in in modern progressive society, that we're able to, no matter what we've got going on in our head, pretty much right. there's someone that can help you with it. And that's so important because you need an outlet to like be able to like get, let it off your shoulders. Yes, let it out. Like, look, guys, this is in my head. This is how I feel. It's like, it's not a coincidence that there was the most serial killers in in the 70s because it was like a time of the 50s, 60s, 70s. They were all just a time of just hold in whatever dark secrets you have and don't right. let them out. Don't tell anyone that you're having these dark thoughts. And the forensics weren't that great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's a good combination. Pretty much fingerprint. If you were, don't leave a clean fingerprint, they ain't getting your yeah, ass. And people were trusting too. Right. So uh, it's kind of big. It's a uh, shit storm. So we have like we we talked about how he kept a pretty much a diary throughout mm-hmm. like his most of his life, and even he had school notes that they found from from his time as a child. One of the, one thing they found from this time was a, a quote that he had written down that says. There once was a girl who had all the right curves and a large tummy, all the better to wrap up tight and make into a mummy. Okay. That's a little disturbing. <laughs> that might be a bit phone of a call flag. home. Bit of a flag. <laughs> Maybe a parent-teacher conference. Right. They also, he also told a story of when he was in uh, elementary school. I think, actually, you know what? He didn't tell a story. They tracked down some friends from elementary school that he had. Yeah. And they had this, um, this class assignment where they were supposed to get into groups and do like a drawing together. Yeah, and of course he chose to draw to draw like a woman trap. Oh, a girl trap is what it was. I'm actually, sure everybody they were, will they be were on kids, board so for that. <laughs> they were kids, so it was a girl trap, and right. it was just this real. It, it basically it was a girl that was like wrapped up in all this shit, and she couldn't get it out. And all the other kids that were in his group were kind of like, oh. and he was just, I guess he was just glowing. Like, this is the best moment of his life. He's like, guys, listen, we're going to get a great grade on this. <laughs> right. Okay, I promise you. Teacher comes over, huh, who do the, uh, whose idea was this? <laughs> they all pointed to this. <laughs> yeah, so that was a little bit of a flag there. Yeah, he sat by himself at lunch that day. <laughs> right. There was also another story, which kind of sounds a little bit uh, dommerish to me, where he was driving in a car. This was in, uh, in his high school days. He had like a group of friends and they were out driving in a car. And he loved driving, by the way. That was another thing we had to bring up. He loved cars, loved yeah. driving. Well, they, his family invented the wheel, so. Yeah, that's true. Hey, that is true. <laughs> that's a good point. There might be something to that. Huh. Anyways, he one thing he would like to do is like make sure that he would hit the path would take them over railroad tracks and they would all be talking right as they drove over the railroad tracks and he would make a really realistic train sound and make them all think that in, in a split moment that they were getting hit by a train. 
and he just got off on this. He I just could see him and his no no sense of humor ass sitting there just cackling to himself, whatever the hell that sounded right. like. Or I maybe he wasn't even, even laughing, maybe he was just I, jacking off. He was just <laughs> <laughs> like a rubber. Oh my god. Guys, something else. Oh my god. As the train whistle gets louder, he just All right. just gets more into it. All right. Um, he would end up graduating from Wichita Heights High School in the class of 1963. Um, uh, and uh, in his adolescence, he had, em- had employment at, uh, working in a supermarket. It wasn't until 1965 that he entered Kansas Wesleyan College in Salina. So he did on and off go through college. He would end up acquiring degrees, yeah, which is pretty impressive considering all the other extracurricular activities he was up to and the fact that he would shortly yeah. be married after this. But um, So after high school and working at the uh, grocery store, he would... Uh, End up being a mediocre student with poor grades in college. He was never yeah. a good student. College, no, no. elementary school. Like I said, too busy drawing. Women if you've seen any up. of his any of his letters, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, it's like you almost think that English is a second language sometimes. Oh, dude, yeah. He, it's he, like what? How do how do you he, do you read this aloud to yourself? He once joked because like later on, um, when the letters were on the news and stuff, and he was married. Uh, his you wife about Paula. Yeah, what Paula, she said to him. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so later on, we'll get. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But just yeah. now, for the sake of the conversation that it's, we're in. Later on, when the letters are being put on the news for people to observe, uh, she's the wife, Paula, sees the handwriting on the thing. She's like, that looks just like your writing. And he goes, well, he joked, he's very quick to defend himself. Yeah. He goes, well, they didn't teach phonics back in my days when I was in school. And it's like, mm. everyone else seems to be doing just fine. Yeah. Paul's pretty much the same age, yeah. and she can write just fine. But like he would, t- he would cut out perf- like important words and sentences, you yeah. know, like, it was weird. It was almost like his brain just didn't have enough room to for that in there. It was like just stuff that he probably knew if he really thought about it, but just didn't, didn't have time for it, man. He's he, too he just busy. couldn't express himself. He was terrible at expressing himself, obviously. Right. Yeah. So his poor grades in college, um, and and the fact that uh, the draft for Vietnam was uh, ablaze at the moment. Right. Um, he would end up uh, joining the Air Force in 1966 to avoid being drafted into the Vietnam as in the Army. Um, mm-hmm. And he was first at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, then Shepard Air Force Base near Wichita Falls, uh, Texas, um, Brooklyn Air Force Base in Mobile, Alabama, and then even stationed in Okinawa in, in uh, outside of Tokyo. Oh, I didn't know he was Japan. in Tokyo. Yeah, and he during these these travels around in the Air Force, he started getting heavily into prostitution. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, very Gary Ridgway esque. Huh, interesting. Trying to fill his void, and he would even try to tie them up, yeah, my and they weren't into it. About that. I not anything about that. Yeah. Um, we forgot to mention that just out of high school was when he really started to exp- like go beyond. He had all these fantasies of breaking into things, and he started to actually do that. Mm-hmm. And so at one point, fresh out of high school, when he was still attending college, he broke into his former high school in the middle of the night, went through like a roof access, went down in, into the classrooms, and he would like draw, like write obscenities on the, cl- on the chalkboards, and he really <laughs> got off on that. And he would just steal inanimate objects just so he could steal them, you know, just so he, as a memento, yeah. like to that. And jack off on the teacher's desk and he, jump out the window. For sure. I got you. Definitely did that. Yeah. Th- th- this is how it starts. This is how it starts with a- almost every serial killer. They oh, just yeah. start grabbing, they start stealing stuff. They get stuff. that rush and then they're always chasing a dragon yeah. like they did a drug for the first time. And yeah. then it's just. It's like this. this that's why we can, never, we can never go beyond. If you have any fantasies about doing it, just don't do it because you're never going to turn just back. <laughs> It's proven time and time again. It must be something good about it because Burglary people just keep is, doing it. It's a, it's a gateway crime. It is. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Right. So he uh, is in the uh, the uh, Air Force for four years, and during that time, he learns some marksman, survival skills, self-defense skills. 
Uh, he received the Air Force Good Conduct Medal, the Small Arms Expert Marksman Ribbon, and the National Defense Service Medal. I'm th- I think these are kind of run-of-the-mill Probably. awards. Because he was, if you inter- when they interviewed people that he was in the military with, they said that he was like as average as it gets. Yeah, There's nothing not mistaken, special about the guy. If you graduate boot camp, you're a marksman. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm pretty sure. He got the Small Arms Expert Marksmanship Ribbon. So what, like oh, he could small arms. shoot a handgun 10, <laughs> 10 feet? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to anybody that has no, these awards. No, 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 no. You know, I don't have one, so I can't really. We're just shitting on Raider here. Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal of this whole episode. <laughs> that's the goal. Uh, he, was distar- he was discharged from active duty in the summer of 1970 and returned home to Wichita, Kansas, where he would serve two more years in the reserves. And that is uh, shortly after that, when he was discharged from the military, when he was introduced to a woman at his church by his mother. Mm, that's always a good match. And yeah. it actually worked out because he was immediately really attracted to her. She How? was a tall blonde, I guess, with brown eyes, and he was just immediately... Wait a minute. Something you glossed over I did not know. I didn't know his mother introduced him yeah. to her. Yeah. His mother, when he returned from oh the military... Oh, makes so much sense. She had a woman in mind that she liked from church, and it was like the most wholesome... And, of course, him never wanting to go against the grain, want everybody to like him. Yeah. He's going to accept... Especially his mom. He's got that weird... Yeah. Probably still got that weird infatuation with his mom, and he's a man now. Yep. It's strange. Right? Mama, it's this so... is what you want? Okay, Mama. Okay. Can you go get tangled up in those sheets for me real quick? <laughs> and then we'll go to oh. church. Oh. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, he met Paula Dietz, and he would go on to marry her, and they would have two children, and she would be with him forever, forever. up until the yeah, end. that's right. And then we'll talk about what happened after he got locked up and was discovered to be the BTK Strangler, how she reacted to that. Because some women, they still stand by their man. Some don't. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. when it comes time. Um, he would go on to attend Butler County Community College, where he earned his associates in electronics in 1973. He had a vast array of, you know, yeah, he had different, a little bit here, a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, he kind of like went to school for a bunch of different weird shit, and you're just like, yeah. well, how are you going to use that? Jack of all trades, master. Well, of he none, used kinda he really did use the uh, the associates in electronics. Think about it. He went on to work for e, uh, ADT, ADT later yeah. on, so you could see that. Pretty sure he could have got that without that, but probably, but it didn't hurt. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh no. He later attended the Wichita State University and earned a bachelor's in, in the administration of justice. Oh, how ironic. Yeah. He always wanted to be a cop, man. He's always obsessed with cops. That's one thing that... Uh, of course he did. Where he grew up in the world that he grew up in, that's cops are, yeah. cops are awesome. John Douglas brought it up a ton in his book, how a lot of serial killers, they, they have a infatuation with criminal justice. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be a badass cop. Right. And for whatever reason, they don't either don't pursue it or they fail at it. Yeah. And, and uh, so they want the cops' attention, at least. They yeah, want to be equal. Right. They're like, they're the top dogs of society, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. He worked for an outdoor supply company for about a year until 1970, uh, July of 1973. He then found an empo- employment with Cessna, the small aircraft manufacturer, the little Cessna planes. Oh, okay. Never heard um, of <laughs> This was his favorite job. He loved, he loved working for Cessna, so much so that in late 1973, during the oil embargo crisis, um, aircraft sales plummeted, and there was a lot of talk about layoffs um, at, at Cessna because of the oil prices, and it was just not worth the profits and everything. Right. And he thought he was safe, and he ended up getting called in and laid off with a bunch of his uh, coworkers. And this, in his mind, is what he said really sparked this killing spree that he goes on. So, like, this is his, like, equivalent of Ted Bundy getting dumped by that by that girl that yeah, he really liked. It, I mean, it was. I think right. it was inevitable. It was. He was a ticking time bomb. But this mm-hmm. was like this is what gave him the free time to uh, to really go out there and start trolling and and like driving around. He was. He found himself in a low frame of mind, unemployed, unhappy, with time on his hands, and he slipped deeper into a fantasy world that he known since since childhood. So right, right. This, 
He had too much time. He needed yeah, to be too occupied. Too much time in their own mind. You right. know, there was a theory that serial killers have plummeted, you know, every year from the 70s because of more stimulation. Right. So, like, our minds are more stimulated. Like, now... Think you, about being in line somewhere in line, and not having your a phone. phone. Yeah. yeah, you're on your phone. You're looking at stuff. Your mind is constantly stimulated by something, if yeah, you want absolutely. it to be. There are things everywhere. Yeah. And if not, then maybe you're with somebody, and they're showing you something on their phone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no time to just sit there and be in your own mind. Right. I was watching uh, Into the Wild. Loved that movie the other night. And, and uh, you know, he takes off, and he just goes on this, like, months and months long journey of just through that. the wilderness. And, and he ends up in Alaska, and he's just by himself. And I'm just like, I would go nuts. I mean, it seems great. In theory, yeah, but like he didn't have music, he didn't have anything. He didn't even have an iPod. He didn't bring any technology with him. He was just. Himself. I would at least have to have somebody with me, somebody I mean, to talk to. At least, yeah, I'd be talking to fucking rocks and shit yeah. before I'd be like Wilson. I'd have yeah. a volleyball the with rock. a face on it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he made some relationships on the way throughout it, but like yeah. for the most part, he was alone, and I, I would go nuts. And he started to at the end, you know, when you when you see what he wrote as he was dying. Right, spoiler. But it was more about how you need human interaction. That's what he one of his big oh, yeah. lessons. We're that he social learned. animals, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, he had all this time on his hands, and he was he was uh, his love for driving. So he would take his wife to work every day. He would drive her because it was icy roads and whatnot in, in Kansas mm-hmm. and during winter. And on the uh, path to her work, that he would drive her every day. Um, it would pass the home of a family, the Otero family. Right. And he got his eyes on the mother, the mother right? and yeah. the daughter, and he liked their dark skin. They were, they were, I believe, Puerto Rican, which is different for Kansas in the seventies. I doubt there was a whole lot. It was probably mainly just white people, right, in the small white, you know, middle America town. Yeah, and uh, so he he really liked their dark skin, and he became obsessed with. Yeah, he kind of did. He was kind of going out of his way, making sure he's by the house at a certain time. He yeah, kind of studying their schedule. Julie Otero was the mother, and the daughter Josephine, um, he took a liking to, and began to keep an eye on their schedule. He would stalk them, sit on their street. Right. This is something that he always did with all of his victims, stalk mm-hmm. them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's so creepy. So if you look out your window and you see a car, a strange car sitting there, assume the worst. Right. I mean, you can't he, lose he went by to assuming the, the worst. The way he described it in his uh, explanation on YouTube, he, once he gets into that stalking stage, like there's no turning back unless something, unless just there's a real, so, real something that just, Scares them off. Scares them off. Yeah, it has to be something pretty rash at that point. Because right. like, cause you're trolling at first, you're looking, and then once you find a target, according to him, then you're stalking. Right. He, he made it out like it's some sort of like hidden science of serial killers. I think it makes him feel better. I think it makes him feel not so that it was out of his hands. and so crazy that, yeah. like, hey, this is what we do. We're this type of animal, us, serial killers. This is what, you know. Mm-hmm. I just got that vibe from, didn't you? Like when uh, you're oh, watching absolutely. That? He yeah. looked he looked at himself like this was like a trading baseball cards and he's now one of the fucking elites, you know. Yeah. Like he he got off on the fact that he was gonna be now listed in the names with Ted Bundy. He brought them up all the time. Like the right. the ones that came Jack before the Ripper, him. Ripper, H. Yeah. H. Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, the ones that came before him, he said like Ted up in the Northwest. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ted up in the Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> just, just spoke with him earlier. Or we're gonna meet up for lunch later. <laughs> right. Uh, that's kind of uh, Ted Ted didn't uh he didn't eat bodies, so that's okay to say. It was, yeah. was Dahmer. He's like, we're meeting up for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have met Dahmer for lunch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> would have saved a lot of people. Yeah, ended up getting a drill in his head. <laughs> be, be, be Dahmer doing some Dahmer good. would win that battle, I think. Yeah. If you had yeah. A, a serial killer battle, what Remember, do you think's coming out on top? 
Dahmer was strong I mean, as an ox. All bro. of their, all of their, um, you, you didn't never hear tricks it. to their disposal. You got Gacy with his his little rope and and uh, pole that he would use. Gacy, to, what, Gacy had the rope weight. trick. Gacy seemed Gacy like he was, was corn fed, bro. Yeah, he yeah, was he was, he was a laborer, strong. man. He had that uh, contracting company. It's true. Yeah, but Dahmer was no bitch either. He was pretty stout. You yeah. never heard of Dahmer's hands cramping up. That was one thing I kept hearing during the BTK oh, case. Yeah. He's like, oh, my hands were BT- so sore after. Like, There's no doubt bitch. BTK goes down early. He's not <laughs> making the bitch. final He's not making the final four in the Battle Royale no, of serial killers. Dahmer's kicking his ass. Dahmer's going to be in the in the final battle. It's, yeah. it's probably going to be Gacy's going to be in there. Ramirez and, is probably scrappy oh, as hell. Oh, dude. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he had tweaker fucking strength. Yeah, he was scrappy. Ramirez might be the fucking final victor, yeah, honestly. I don't know, man. I don't know if Gacy gets his hands around his neck with that rope. Are they allowed to have weapons? They're allowed to use all their tricks to their disposal. Oh, so like, all their tricks? I guess we'll take guns out, though. Oh, wait a minute. BTK might have a chance then. He's kind of like Jerry on Rick and Morty. He's just so pathetic, they'd feel bad for him. Right, they'd leave him and in the then, corner by yeah, himself. And leave him up there. He'd just kind of sneak in at the end. He would just kind of... Put a rope around somebody when they're up. on top of someone else. Yeah, <laughs> he would just fucking hiding over in the corner. Right. That's so pathetic. Yeah. But that's true, though. He, he did have that kind of personality. Yeah. He definitely wasn't as assertive as... This is a different ones. topic for a different day. We can, Maybe we could it do is. a live chat and discuss who would win in a serial killer battle royale. Yeah, we should. We should, yeah. We should, like, mark all... Like, write down all their weapons and stuff that they have. Yeah, because I'm sure we're forgetting some guys that we've studied that would be... Robert Hansen, he was an outdoorsman. He might do all right. Yeah, if he's allowed to have the rifle, it's Randy over. Kraft, <laughs> if, he get, if Randy Kraft gets you to, to drink a cocktail, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he proposes a toast before the Royale, and they're William all dead, Bonin, and he William, just walks away. <laughs> William Bonin would be scary. That dude oh, was yeah. intense, like just his intensity hey, alone. Hey, does he, does he get uh, his partner to come with him? Cause, oh, yeah, Vernon Butts. Yeah, does he get old Butts? Butts get to tag along? I don't know. I guess if you have a tag team duo. Okay. I don't know. This is, like we said, a different topic yeah, for hey, a different day. in your words, we're getting off the rails. Not only that, yeah, and we're, and we're also leading up to a really tragic event in the story, so it's bad timing. Yeah. So we'll get serious for a minute. The uh, Otero family, he'd been keeping an eye on them. The mother, Julie, he really had kind of targeted as his first victim. Right. His idea was to, f- to get a time when she was by herself, obviously. Right. I mean, And that's why he was stalking her so many so many days in a row. He thought that he'd kind of had this schedule down. The kids down. would go to school. Yeah. And so on January 15th, 1974, this was a Tuesday morning, um, all the, the four members of the family were kind of like hanging out in the kitchen, getting their lunches ready. Like the parents were helping the kids get the kids that were still at home. There was right. two or three kids that were already off at school. Mm-hmm. One of them being Charlie Otero, who we talked about already. And so they're, they're all hanging out in the kitchen and Raider parks at a nearby shopping mall and walks over to the Otero family home, jumps into their backyard. It's a really snowy, cold day. Right. Everyone remembers and uh, he's hanging out in the backyard, and he re- he sees a, a sign for a dog back there, and he that's when he he realized like fuck, I I didn't think this through completely. I didn't think right. about whether they had a dog, and their dog, people that knew them knew that they had notoriously like kind of a sketchy dog. Like this dog was not <laughs> to be messed with. Yeah, oh, it was lucky. kind of a yeah temperamental dog named Lucky. And the dog, however, though, the dog did not like being outside in the cold. I know how that goes. I have dogs that are the same way. Right. The dog happened to be inside, so he lucked out there. And he, once back in the backyard, he did one of his signatures, which was cut the phone line, which is mm-hmm. scary, man. That's like horror movie shit. It is. He kept, he always kept like a, a knife with him that he would cut the phone line with. Now keep in mind, like, this is a Tuesday <clears throat> morning. It's yeah. like, no look, one is expecting this. No one this. expects this. You, They're all just hanging out in the kitchen. They're getting yeah. their lunches Everybody's, ready. It's hustle and bustle. Everybody's yeah. around. Oh, you got your book bag? You know, right. Okay, yeah, be careful. Meanwhile, this, yeah, this creep scumbag is Scumbag is in the backyard with this monster is just hanging out in your backyard waiting for an opportunity. He didn't yep. at this point know how he was going to get into the house. Right. 
He didn't know if he was going to break out the back window, which he did on several occasions in other murders later on. Mm-hmm. So he was not uh, against the idea of just smashing out a window to get inside, but he's kind of like crouched down in the backyard trying to figure out how he's going to get in. And at that moment, Joseph Jr., the the youngest son of the family, um, was asked by his father to take the trash out back. So he he grabs a bag of trash and he takes it out back to take it to a can back there. Right. And when he opens the door, uh, Den- Dennis spots him grabs him. He has a 22 caliber gun that he puts to Joseph and takes him inside into the kitchen and confronts the family. Mm-hmm. And so at first, I guess, Joseph, the father, the older Joseph, um, was, thought there was some kind of a joke. He asked Durator if he'd, his brother-in-law had put him up to this. Or right, yeah. They were all kind of just in because disbelief like said, it's at the first. timing. It's yeah. like if you think if somebody's going to come into your yard and break into your house, you just don't think Tuesday morning. Like, it's just... right. And people say, like, oh, it's so crazy. There's no way he overpowered all these, this whole family. Well, he has a gun. But if he has a gun to your son's head? And the deme- his demeanor was very much what he would tell pretty much all of his victims. Yeah. Uh, the first thing he would say is that he was a he was a ex-con, he's on the run, mm-hmm. he needs food, he needs a car, and he needs any money they can give him. And so that's basically, he, he would set that precedent right away that I'm not here to hurt anybody, I'm here to get what I need and get right. out. exactly. And that's how he would put their guard down in a sense. They would think, yep. okay, he just wants stuff and then he'll be gone. Yep. And so the, even the parents, even like in these situations where there's kids, he'd get the parents to start calming down their kids and say, it's fine, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be fine, We're just gonna, we'll just give him what he wants and get him out of here. Yeah, all the while he's tying them up. Right, and so he, at first he tells them, Lucky's in the, in the kitchen with everybody, and so he tells um, somebody to get the dog out, so Joseph... Junior then lets the dog outside, and that's at that right. point he tells them all to go into the back bedroom, um, where he. That's when Joseph Senior should have made his move right there. Yeah, well, Joseph at this time was messed up from a car accident that he had recently been in. Oh, really? He had a messed up shoulder and he had messed up ribs, which is a really chilling moment in this oh, in this my murder God. I did not know scenario. That. He was a, he was a, supposedly like a Golden Gloves oh, boxer, I know that. like a championship yeah. that's boxer. That's why I'm wondering why he didn't make a move. Yeah, and he had military training. Ex-military, he was kind of a badass. He was a badass. Yeah, if this would have been on a good day, right? Yeah. It would have been a scrap. Yeah, so... Oh, it wouldn't have been a scrap. It would have been an ass-whooping, probably. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so he gets them back there, and he starts tying up the family, and he's telling them still that he's just he's just doing this so that he can keep everybody under control and get mm-hmm. what he needs. Um, and at one point, he even... Uh, we talked about the, the injury that Joseph had suffered in the car accident. He asked Joseph, after he gets tied up, he Joseph asks Dennis if he can put him in a different spot or if he can untie him from where he was because his ribs were hurting. Yeah. Dennis then helped, you know, he gives him made him more comfortable. This, this kind of thing happens a lot throughout these murders where you hear the story back and you're like, he like acted like a human being in some scenarios. And he, then he would immediately afterwards, like he let Joseph get into a more comfortable position. Right. He then promptly a put a bag yeah. over his fucking head and suffocated right. him, you know? Well, he doesn't want him dying thinking he's a bad person, Lord. That's so weird. He's such a coward. He's, so, He's such a coward. Yeah, like he is. when face to face to people, he can't even like tell them no. straight up. Like he can't be a monster even to the people that he's killing to their face. He's too worried about what they think of him in a sense. That's like, exactly what he's doing. He's just mirroring what they want. Such a coward, you know. Like we said, he never he never uh, sexually assaulted any of them. He never like raped any of the people that he killed. No. And it's almost like another. I mean, it sounds weird, but it's like almost another cowardly thing where it's like he didn't want them to think he was that terrible. Yeah, and honestly, he really didn't torture people. Yeah, they call it bind, yeah. bind torture, kill. Well, killed. he calls himself that. He didn't really torture people. I think he just didn't want to be called BK like Burger King. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I need one more letter in there. BK Lounge. <laughs> it, BK Lounge. It's, it, but I mean, it also depends on your idea of torture because Josephine, we're going to get to in a minute... So he, we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, yeah. in a sense, some of these ways you would not want to 
be killed in no, this that's, way. No, that's absolutely you true. Know, so it is yeah. a form of torture, but it's not like he was deliberately torturing them. It was just a means to an end for him. It was right. like he wanted their body in a certain position. That's what got him off. Right. And so I, Joseph was just an obstacle for him, the father. And so he would, uh, after getting him tied to, I, I think Joseph asked to be tied to the, the bed leg, the right. leg of the bed. That was a common did. thing he did to everybody. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it was started from with Joseph or what, but yeah, yeah he would tie him to tie their ankles to the bed frame so they couldn't yeah. move around the room. Right. He then put a bag over Joseph's head, uh, a plastic bag, mm-hmm. um, and Joseph started to struggle around on the floor. And at yeah. some point, he got the hole poked in the mouth area of the well, first, bag. Well, first, he choked him unconscious, though. Yeah. The first time he does choke him unconscious. Mm-hmm. But he later starts moving around and gasping for air and this whole he bites thing, a hole in the bag. This whole thing is is not going how Den- it's not easy to strangle people. Dennis has realized it's, it's right. it takes a long time and a lot of times it's not like the movies where you choke them for 20 seconds and then they're dead. Yeah, right. Like they, they pass out from mm-hmm. lack of blood flow to their brain. I would assume kind of like an MMA fight when you choke someone out. Right. They pass out and then they come to a couple minutes later. So he would strangle one. Pa- they would pass out. Mm-hmm. He would then move on to another family member. Yep. So he's doing this with Josephine, with uh, Joseph Jr. He's doing yeah. it with the father, with the mother. And they're all kind of fighting for their lives and begging. They're now realizing that this isn't like... If he wanted us, just wanted our stuff and he was going to leave. He would have already taken he it. We're, already, tied yeah, we're tied up. He would have just yeah. taken it. So now they realize what's going on and they're fighting him. They're being choked to the point of passing out. Then they're coming to while the other members are being choked out. This whole thing's just taking way longer than he thought yeah. it would. And eventually he would end up putting a bag, a uh, plastic, I think he put a pillowcase he, he or puts a shirt. A, he puts a T-shirt over Joseph's head and then puts another bag over top of that so right. he can't actually bite through the T-shirt. There was some talk that he might have um, identified slightly with Joseph Jr. for whatever reason and that he that's why he put like a shirt and then a bag and then another shirt over Joseph Jr.'s head and yeah. is that he didn't want to see him suffering, but I don't buy that. I just think I that he either. just wanted I think he was just like, oh, he'll definitely not be able to bite through the bag like this. Yeah, like yeah. if you think about it, like if, even if you got your hands free. It was just free, part of the learning to, curve. Yeah. Him. Yeah. There'd be no way to get all those layers of bags yeah. off. This dude didn't identify with shit. No. Fucking and so it, basically what happens is after all the struggling goes on, um, Joseph, the father, is dead. The mother is dead, um, and the youngest Joseph son is also dead on the floor. Right. The mother's on the bed. The father's on the floor as well. Right. And then he, Josephine but he has other plans for Josephine. Josephine was kind of the the prize that he had wanted, and so he had choked her to unconsciousness. He then took her down. He discovered a door in the kitchen that led to a basement in the home. Right. He had this obsession with basements. I think Even he like wanted like a dark home. place where he couldn't be discovered. Same thing with Barnes. Like he liked like a secluded area where he could go about his right. darkest secrets and, and his fantasies and, and perform them. Like in his parents' home is where he did a lot of that stuff, like down in the basement. Right. He would dress himself up like a girl, tie himself yeah. up, take pictures of himself. Stole his mother's undergarments and would yeah. wear those. And he had like a little remote trigger for the camera. He'd yeah. He'd be taking pictures of himself. Yeah. And it's so weird. he takes Josephine into the home of the base or the basement of the home. And he would um, find a water pipe in the basement that was angled in a sense that it was horizontal to where you could hang something from it. Mm-hmm. He then tied her up and um, fashioned a noose and hung her from the water pipe. And he hung her in a, sen- in a way that her toes were just like a quarter inch from the ground, which we talked about the whole torture thing where it's arguable whether he actually tortured people or not. But it, in Josephine's case, it was a really horrific way to go and that absolutely it prolonged her her uh, asphyxiation because her toes were so close to the ground that she could 
touch them here and there, and just mm-hmm. it would just make the the process take much longer than it had to, as far as being choked out. Right, and they talked about that in court, how that would be that would put more strain on the body. It would be, yeah, it would, it would be suffering. You would suffer dying yeah. that way. It would be a sense of torture, absolutely. And he may have have gotten off on the fact that it took longer, and that she was looking at him, knowing that she was helpless. And there was semen found on her leg, as well as a, a puddle found on the ground below her body, hanging from the water pipe. When the police responded, oh, they found that. And it's just—it's like it, honestly, it's like some 1920s prison torture shit, right here. Right. That he just did to her, man. Yeah, I almost wish I hadn't seen the photos because I've seen the photo of Josephine hanging in the basement. It, you'll They're never out forget there. It. You'll never. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. I'm sure a lot of you never... have already seen these these pictures, but yeah. There's it, a lot of crime scene photos from Dennis Rader out there. You can pretty much see all the Otero family. Um, you can f- see pictures of their bodies. But just nothing's like that Josephine one, uh, an 11-year-old girl hanging from a water pipe. It's just terrifying. It is. This guy's an absolute fucking monster. And so after uh, the deed was done, um, he then left the house. He used He took the Otero family car to the mm-hmm. shopping mall where he had his car parked got back in his car, did an inventory of all his stuff. He always carried a black bag with all the ropes and knife and everything. Yeah, he called it his hit kit. His hit kit, and he realized that it, one thing was missing from his hit kit, which was his knife. Yeah. And so he started had a little moment of a moment of panic because when he was in the house, he he started realizing like I think they have more kids. I don't know if there's anyone that's going to be coming home soon. I better right. get the hell out of here. I've taken way too long. Yeah. I didn't plan this out properly. So he kind of like fled the house quickly when it really sunk in. Yeah after what he'd done and that people might be returning soon. And he was right and that mm-hmm. there were still kids at school that were going to be getting home soon. Right. And so when he, he fled in their car, went to his car, and then he then actually drove his own vehicle back to the Otero home. Like the way it's pictured is almost like skid into the driveway. <laughs> yeah. When he had realized that it was in the backyard that he had left his knife, when he cut the telephone line at that exact moment is when uh, Joseph Jr. had walked out back. So he, he kind of like it. surprised by yeah. someone coming out the door, dropped his knife, and he was able to retrieve the knife got back in the car and like burned wow. out leaving the home. It was actually seen, a car was seen burning out leaving the Otero home, Ooh. which was his own personal yeah. vehicle. But he also, he found time to take a radio too. I don't yeah. know how big of a radio this was. We talked about how he liked to think steal things that weren't even like a value. They were just a value in that it was like a memorable. Yeah. What's funny is like when you're when you're going through these facts and hearing the description from the book or from a documentary or whatever, it seems like, he was in a rush and in a hurry. But like when he recalled this events in court, he said that this was one of the ones where he actually had time and he took his time and searched around and looked for things and he couldn't really find anything he wanted. So he just took the keys and radio. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just, it struck me as odd that everybody makes it out like he was in a hurry, but he himself, maybe that's just him bragging like, Oh, I had all the time in the world. So I just kind of went through their stuff and, Maybe it makes him feel like he's a better criminal, like more stealthy or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, the first one was uh, ultimately it was a success in that he didn't get caught. He he kept the situation under control even though it got out of control at moments. Mm-hmm. It all ended well from his perspective. Right. And uh, I think he felt as though it was a success in the, in the long run. But However, he kind of marked his, his triumphs in that how long he got with the body was the biggest probably the biggest factor for what he viewed as success. That was the ultimate goal. That was, yeah, was that to was be the alone whole point. was to be yeah. alone with this person whether they were alive and tied up or dead. It didn't matter. He wanted to be able to pose them. It was all yeah. about the imagery for him. He See, was I don't very, think he wanted them alive at all. I think he just wanted them dead and tied up. Well, yeah, because he didn't want them looking at him. No. He, we talked about how he was a coward and it was ultimately about the the the, the imagery for him. It was right. all like a painting that he was creating 
He wanted right. them tied up in a specific way and like it was an all an algorithm for him which turned him on. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Other than Josephine, there really wasn't that much torture going on. Like he was I don't think he enjoyed the killing process, honestly. Right. He was it's kinda like Dahmer in that way. Like if yeah. he could just find somebody that could just shut off their brain right. and take photos, I think he would be just as happy with that. Right. But then that person would know right. his path. They would know his secrets and he just can't deal with that. But there was also something that he enjoyed about them being alive and, and, and being tied up and unable to move that got him off as well. Maybe if the if the woman was alone. Right. But if there yes. was if there was someone else there, he wasn't so much he didn't care about that so much. That wasn't the most important thing. Right. But I'm sure he did enjoy that a little bit, being in control yeah. of the situation and yeah. whatnot. So the Otero family uh murder goes down, the the town of Wichita goes kind of crazy because nothing like this is this is not commonplace for a family of four to be murdered in oh, their home. Like has this it happened on a Tuesday since, what, the 40s? Yeah, like on a Tuesday morning. Yeah, that's something that uh, was brought up by uh, Charlie mm-hmm. Otero later on, is right. that is the the book In Cold Blood by Truman Capote about the, the murder of a family of four in Kansas, mm-hmm. like what, like in the 50s, I believe. Yeah. Um, was there, there was a movie based on that book that was on television a couple nights before this this happened and Charlie Otero watched it and he felt as though that maybe the killer, whoever did this to his family of four was, was maybe, and uh, if that movie can inspire somebody to do that, right? That, no, that's just, I think he's we, just, he's just grasping. I think Charlie was, yeah, I was just grasping, just grasping for any understanding other than just yeah. a weirdo came in their house in the middle of the day and did this to his family. He wants it to be a more of a conspiracy yeah. than it really was. Absolutely. All right, so after that success, um, he began. He continued to stalk people, which he viewed as he called them projects. Right. He he almost had like a list of certain people that he would stalk, and if they fit the right criteria, he really w- was trying to avoid men at this point. He wanted to find women that were alone. Right. With but no, he had failed no in the prospects. first one. Yeah. He failed with Joseph <laughs> Otero being there. Yeah. Kind of caused some trouble for him, and on this one, he would end up failing as well. But this is more just coincidence. Um, so on April 4th, 1974, he had been, uh, observing a woman named Kathy, Catherine Bright, known as Kathy. Uh, he had seen her entering her, uh, her home one day as he drove through the streets of Wichita. That's all it took yeah, for him. That's all, it took. all you had to do was see a girl. And if she, she looked like someone he wanted to see tied up, yep. it just like it infiltrated his brain and he couldn't let it go. And nope. he would just keep watching them. Um, he then, uh, on April 4th, he would break into her home uh, through a window in the back and waited for her to return, something he would do quite often. He'd cut the phone oh, line, yeah. break in through a back window, and just sit and wait for them to return. Um, Catherine, however, had been out with her brother that day. Her brother lived in another town with his parents. He was young, a younger brother of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Kevin. He came to stay with her for one night, and he wanted her basically to um, go to the bank with him and help get a loan for a... He had like this invention idea, and, yeah. he, and he needed funding for it. Oh, and so, damn. what was it? I, I, I would like to know. Like, yeah, right. Maybe it was like the, the fucking ShamWow, ShamWow, or yeah. something. Yeah, something slap chop, probably. Yeah, Billy Mays yeah. would have been advertising. <laughs> Who knows? This was the seventies. He could have been still ahead his of the OxyClean curve. idea, right? <laughs> could have been something real silly, like Snuggy or something. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So she she had taken him to the bank that morning, and that's where she was while BTK was sitting inside her house waiting. And so Kevin, by the way, got, got declined on his loan. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so this is a bad day for him in general. So they return home. She walks in, and Kevin walks in with her, and BTK is kind of caught off guard by this. Right. Um, he, anyways, he still does his routine. He pulls his gun out. 
He tells them that he's there for money, a car to get away in, right, and food. He's a fugitive food. on the run. Fugitive again. on the run. He gives them that whole spiel. He takes, uh, he takes them into a bedroom and ties up Catherine and tied up Kevin to a bedpost. He then took Catherine into another room. and uh, I think he had Kevin tie up Catherine, didn't he? Yeah, he made, he, sometimes he did that. He would have yeah. one member of a family tie up the other one. Mm-hmm. And then he took Kevin to the other room and then tied him up and then tied him to the bedpost. Right. However, um, when he went back into the bedroom with, with Catherine, Kevin escaped from his, his, uh, his ropes that were tying him up and entered the bedroom and got into a, uh, got into a battle with Raider right. in which he ended up being shot in the forehead with a twenty two caliber slug. Now, this right. guy must have... Um, we talked about this in the Green Bay Pack-A-Killer case where some people have thicker skulls. But this, maybe he had some like shitty rounds in his twenty two. A twenty two is not the strongest caliber right, bullet anyway. Right, exactly. It reflected, That's what I was about to say. it reflected off of Kevin's forehead, but it knocked him out. And of course, both Dennis Rader and his sister Catherine thought that he was dead. Catherine begins screaming, You shot my brother, at which point oh, he goes back to going to work on her, strangling her. Right. Um in the but midst of him, Kevin stra- rises from the ashes. Kevin is one tough son of a bitch. He is. <laughs> Kevin then wakes up from being shot in the forehead. Yeah. Gets into another scrum with uh, BTK again, where he's subsequently right. shot again, this time in, in the, the mouth, mouth. In the mouth. I, th- I believe it took out some of his teeth and then it exited from his mouth. God. He goes down again, comes back to life in the middle oh, of this like, again. Is he fucking Wolverine? Right. At this this an animal. <laughs> and at this point, he decides that... It, it, that Fighting with this guy is not working out because he keeps getting shot. Right. And he ends up staggering out the front door, covered in blood, yeah. and is running down the street. And at this point, BTK has successfully strangled Catherine unconscious. Right. And you have to know at this point, I mean, this guy's got nothing left to fight. If he goes in there and tries to fight him now, because that's the first thing I thought about. I was like, man, how could he leave his sister in there with this killer? Like, even in that condition, but... In that condition, they're both just going to die. If he doesn't go get help from somebody, because right. he, he's been shot in the face twice. <laughs> right. Like, he probably can't even see. There's probably blood in his eyes yeah. and shit. Like, his, his heart's probably pounding. He, oh, yeah. he would be no good in a fight at this point. Right. And so he makes the decision to, to go out and try to get help, which must have been just as difficult. Right. I mean, to leave his sister there. Right. Real, real quick, did this exact, almost exact thing not happen with Richard Ramirez? Didn't he... When I was hearing this story, I was like, I've heard this already. Right. I'm pretty sure Richard Ramirez had a very similar encounter with a brother and sister where he separated them. It may have. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. It was a while ago that we did the Richard Ramirez episodes, and he killed so many people that it's hard to... I'm pretty sure he did. It was, it was almost his body the count was a lot higher. So he tied up the brother because he didn't want to deal with him. Right. And then he ended shot him, and then the guy wasn't dead. And he came back, and they got into a big fight. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, I think so. Because I, ke- I kept getting like deja vu listening to this story, and I was like, maybe I've already heard this one. Right. I've heard this. Well, the, bright, the Brights were just, they, they were just a, a tough group because Catherine, yeah. he ended up having to stab Catherine because oh, yeah. choking her out wasn't working. Like she kept coming to as well. Yeah. And, fi- and fighting with him, like nail, like tooth and nail, just fighting with him to the point where he ended up stabbing her 11 times in the abdomen. And uh, and then he because he saw Kevin he heard the door open in the front and Kevin running out he went out looked out the window and saw a bloody Kevin running down the street he realized okay I've got to get the hell out of here right and after stabbing Catherine he then fled the home um, Kevin was flagged down he flagged down a vehicle driving down the street um, told the guy what had happened jumped in the car they drove to a local hardware store where they called the police and uh, the police would arrive and um, sadly Catherine would still be alive. 
when the when the mm. police arrived, obviously on death's door, right, where she was transferred to the uh, hospital and died. Not yeah, long she after. couldn't even speak because he had crushed her larynx. Right. Something that's real sad is while um, after BTK ran off she, and her brother was gone, she crawled to the phone and called the operator. Yeah. Because at this day they didn't have a nine one one number yet. Right. That didn't even exist. So she called the operator and was trying to tell the operator what was going on, but her right, larynx. Something, but she couldn't. Yeah, her larynx had been crushed from the choking, and so mm-hmm. all that the operator could hear was just you know somebody making noises on the phone. Oh God. Yeah. It's got to be a helpless feeling because right. if she could have just given an address or something instead of them having a trace to call and yeah. all that, who knows? Yeah, so even with all of BTK's excessive planning for what he thought was all this planning to make things go smoothly, his yeah. first two didn't go smooth by any means. However, he had managed to get away, and he had now climbed his body count to five in two separate events. And in, in October of 1974, with all the, pol- the pressure on the police with these random murders that are going on, um, three men had stepped forward and t- tried to take credit for the Otero murders. Um, and an editor of the Wichita Eagle newspaper received a phone call directing him to a hidden letter in an engineering book at the Wichita Public Library. This was BTK not wanting other people to take credit for his work. So he reached out to the news, um, the local newspaper, the Wichita Eagle, and yeah. he had gone to the local library and put a letter in a book for the police to discover. Right. Um, the newspaper our uh, editor notified the police who then went to the library and found the letter inside the letter was a lot of interesting stuff and plenty of proof for them to know that they had the wrong guys in custody because the guy who had done these murders was yeah. undoubtedly the person who wrote this letter right he knew details that no one else could have known yeah so in here's a quote from the letter i wrote this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayers as well as your time those three dudes those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it myself. I did it by myself and no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put it straight. And then there was uh, detailed, detailed descriptions, descriptions yeah. drawings. Um, he told the stuff that he stole. He said that the radio was missing, the keys were gone, the car was moved, all that. Yeah, the, the locations yeah. of the bodies, the, yep. the placement of the bodies, the way they were killed. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that there was semen in the basement, all that stuff was detailed in his letters. And also he said, I'm sorry this to happen. I'm sorry this happened to society. Good luck with your hunting. Yours truly guilty. <laughs> P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK. You see B at it again. They will be on the next victim. <laughs> The way he writes this freaking trips me out. I'm like, you have all the time in the world to write this. Right. Like, I think he's just so excited to write it mm-hmm. that he's. Just and he like, wants a moniker so bad. Yeah. He wants to be one of. It's the- so pathetic because he's like, since sex criminals do not change their mo or by nature cannot do so. At least that's what I've read. Right. <laughs> and what's funny is that one of the things that got that made it so hard for him to catch is that he like all of his crime scenes were such a mess and like everything nothing ever went routinely. Right. It was it was just so hard to like connect some of these murders because he did things differently so often. Yeah, the only thing that was really consistent was the rope. But then sometimes, like, the by the time the police got there, a family member would have like in the Otero murders, when the when um, the older sibling had come home and found his his father and his mother, he he took a knife and there was a knife found at the bot next to the bodies that yeah. that the son had brought in there to cut off the rope because he didn't like seeing his his mother and you know all tied up, Absolutely his father not. all tied up. 
Yeah, so sometimes like the bodies would be so disturbed and the ropes would be missing, you know, because right. people were trying to be uh, resuscitated by EMTs and whatnot. That yep. it would be hard to to connect these these killings together. And sometimes, sometimes he brought his own stuff. Sometimes he didn't. He forgot or whatever. At least according to his confession. Right. So, who knows? So, um, in ni- November of 1974, Dennis Rader finally found a steady job with ADT Security. Oh, perfect. And you guys know ADT. It's a company specializing in the installation of alarm systems, the, the stuff that's supposed to protect you from this yeah. very type of person. They hire serial killers. No, I'm just, just kidding. They don't. He would end up staying well. with ADT for the next 14 years and rose to the position of installer supervisor, which gave him freedom to roam around roam around oh. town, stalk. Um, his lunch breaks would be filled with uh, cruising the streets <laughs> looking for his next victims. And I don't know it's if you just know this, Paula, but I'm a I'm a uh, security supervisor now. Right. <laughs> it's just terrifying to know this guy's inside these people's houses, knowing that he, you know, he, people would report their underwear coming up missing. And uh, there was one story I heard that he he told where um, he had installed security system for this woman, and the reasoning that she wanted to put one in is her ex boyfriend had been stalking her. She let him know this. Yeah. He installs this security system, and he actually created a loophole for him to where he could then come back and break in and not set off the alarm, yeah. set up a code or whatever in a way that he knew how to get into it. I bet he in did case he decided to make her his next victim. I'm sure he did. Yeah, he did that at times. Probably of just about every one of them. Yeah, especially if they were a woman living alone or maybe just dating. You right. know, so there there wasn't a male presence in the house all the time or whatever. Yeah, we talked about it before the show. Like we don't ever want anyone we don't know in our house, no matter who they work for. Like you can't, I don't no. care how like cable guy prestigious. No. The company is I'm like, I'm having shutters installed in my house in like the next week. Yeah. I mean, they're a really reputable company and everything. Yeah. Reputable company. Reputable. Yeah. Uh, they have full-time employees. They're you're, not like, but you're still going to be watching them like a damn hog. Yeah, no, I took the day off work so I could be here and watch and keep my eyes on them because, oh. yeah, and I'm yeah, and I'm not letting them get friendly with my dogs. My dogs are going to be locked outside so that they don't know right. whether my dogs are violent or not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even telling you guys. That's a good... <laughs> they are. <laughs> right, they're vicious. I, can only have, I, can, I can't even have my kid around them. Right. No. Uh, but, yeah, just don't ever trust anyone in your house because, ultimately, people are flawed. We know this after studying this show enough. Yeah. It doesn't matter who they work for. They're still human beings and they still have urges and you just don't know Sorry. what kind of person they are. And when no one's looking, it's like I mean, the you know, the woman that was married to this guy for th- you know, however many years didn't even know who he was. Nope, not a clue. She was living under the same house with him, had kids with him, had no idea what kind of person this guy was. So, yeah, just cuz someone's wearing a uniform, don't trust them. No. And that's some that was a way that he would use to gain entry sometimes. He would pretend to be a phone employee, which we'll get to. Yeah. They had to inspect phone lines. Right. Just don't yeah, never. Never let a stranger in your house. I'm sure you guys know this, creepers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're as paranoid as we are, I'm sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they received a letter. He gets the job with ADT, and now he's roaming the streets. But there was kind of a gap here. There was no known murders from nineteen seventy five to nineteen uh, and nineteen seventy six, probably because the last one went so bad and he just Yeah, he needed a break. Yeah, I think yeah. he needed a break, and then just time times got busy for him. He had his first child uh, in 1975. Um, he had things occupying his mind. His his yeah, his thoughts were he stimulated. Had, so he had his first child, and then he had a full schedule between ADT and night school at w, uh, WSU. Um, so 1975, 1976, things go quiet. Then in March of 1977, he decided it was time for another murder. Uh, the urges came back around. What he called. Uh, Rex Factor X, <laughs> yeah. He or, called Factor X was what drove serial killers like him, and 
right. Ted up in the Northwest and yeah, Ted up in the all Northwest. Of them, it, I'm going to refer to him forever. Right. It was, it was always just a matter of time that until Factor X became too overwhelming and they had yeah. to fulfill the urges again. And didn't he nickname it Rex, like the demon inside him, supposedly? Yeah. Was, it's what he called it, Rex. Rex it was, was Factor X. Yeah. Like any time that the, the cops would refer to him, he would always say, you know, use my name, Rex. Yeah. Whatever. It's kind of strange. Yeah, so March of 1977, he had been trolling in a particular neighborhood and found heavily that had some women in mind there. He met a woman named Cheryl in a bar that he'd gone to. I forget what it's called. They brought up the bar a few times in the book. He was like the... I don't know the name of it. Black Hole Bar or some shit. It was, it was a real seedy-sounding bar, real really? hole-in-the-wall-sounding place. Right. And he would frequent this bar, and he had met a woman named Cheryl and had chosen her to be his next target. So this is kind of like the first the first target that wasn't a complete stranger. Like this woman was actually aware of his existence. Yeah. Seen him at the bar, talked to him. Um, Cheryl was renting a house with another woman and often had parties at that house in those days. Raider found out where she lived. He would use the phone book. He would um, talk to people that knew the person at times to figure out the name. Then he would find out where they lived, find out their phone number, these type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, he found out where she lived and would it would be a go in his mind. He kind of targeted this. This was the one. That's it. Stalker mode. However, fortunately, on the day that he chose, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl and her friends, no one was home when Raider came around that day. And he states that he'd also cased another home in the neighborhood, but no one was home there either. So he's... Dang, he's chosen <laughs> at this point, like he should have known better because like he'd chosen this day was just going to be the day he was going to kill somebody. And he almost like he didn't stick to his plan. He just immediately, okay, no one's home. Let's move on to another house on the streets. Like, yeah, that, that kind you of know what I think he does. I think he tries to fight it, the, the urge as long as he possibly can. And then once and he then, accepts that it's going to happen, yeah, once he accepts no that it's going to happen on this day, he's like, oh, I have to do it this day. Or I'm mm-hmm. going to fucking explode, right? So, and that's why he makes bad decisions and yeah, rash ones and jumps and. You know, jumps to conclusions, yeah, breaks at homes. On this street, are. he had two potential targets that he had planned out, right? Yeah. Two houses he'd been scouting out with people. Neither of them are home. And instead of doing what he had done in the past, which is break in and sit in the house and wait for him to return, yeah, he just started walking down the street. And this is really tragic how this ends up happening because it was just so... It, it probably shouldn't have happened to the person it happened to. It shouldn't have happened to the other person either. But yeah. it's kind of weird how it happens. So he starts walking down the street looking for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he um, was trolling down on foot on Hydraulic Street and encountered a five-year-old boy named Steve Relford. He was in the documentary we talked about. Yeah. He pulled out a photo of his own wife and son being Raider. He pulled out a, f- a picture of his family mm-hmm. and asked Steve if he knew who they were. Now, this is just a way of him kind of gaining this kid's trust. Just a, a conversation, sometimes with a child. And they they want to believe the best in a person to just of course any any chance to talk to the kid he viewed it as a reason like the kid might start to like right. trust him he well, shows and him he also tried to give off a like a friendly. vibe of authority too like I'm I'm a detective kind of thing oh, okay. too yeah he was like hey I'm looking for these people have you seen these people right he wasn't just like some random guy I mean I think he was he was posing as a detective or an officer of some sort at this okay. point yeah well this this kid Steve Relford five year old. Um, he was the son of Shirley Vian, a 24-year-old mother who was uh, actually had stayed home sick from work that day. She was really ill, and she was sending out her son, Steve, to go to the, run to the store and get medicine for her, Ugh. which was something that and she'd already called ahead to the store. She was a good mother. She, yeah. This is the 70s. Like, yeah. um, she had called ahead to the store and let them know that the kid was coming. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he was out of the house when, uh, when Dennis ran into this kid. Right. And so when he saw where the boy lived, he posed as a private detective looking for someone to uh, force his way into the house. He, he then rang the doorbell. Um, Stephen answered the door later on, and he 
asked if his mother was home. Yeah. He said she was. He then forced his way into the house, pulled out the gun, and confronted the kids in the in the living yeah, room. She had other kids. Yeah. She had she had a daughter that was uh, watching TV in the living room. Shirley was in the back room, and he said ill. When she heard a man in the house, um, she knew that that wasn't supposed to happen, and so she comes running out to confront this man, this strange man that is now inside the house. He then um, put her at gunpoint, forced her into a bedroom. Yeah. Um, put the kids after all the he bathroom, had locked the he? kids in the bed. Yeah, he locked yeah. the kids in a bathroom, and he like tied a, a rope to the door to make sure that because there was two bed two uh, doors in the bathroom at this time. Right now, one of the documentaries I watched on YouTube took you back to a couple houses. Like, mm-hmm. this was one. They took okay. you into Shirley Vian's house, and they took you into the Otero, uh, Otero home, which is unbelievable to me that that house is still standing, just to get sidetracked. That people are living in it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I just can't imagine going down in that basement. If you're knowing, living in that house, like... Knowing right that in, an 11-year-old like girl was hung like. from that by yeah. a notorious serial killer. Uh, yeah, every time you go down there. I mean, because, That like, place should have been demolished immediately. Like, yeah. a lot of the houses of... Some of the other houses of victims that mm-hmm. were killed by this guy were immediately demolished as a... I feel like they should be. I don't know. I don't really believe in the supernatural per se, but I just I couldn't get the dark images out of my head. Like, how could you ever get comfortable? How can you not... I just don't know how you could go in that basement and not see yeah. that girl or think of her. Like, it's just yeah. depressing every time you go down there, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm Maybe not saying that... Sure, I'm not it or you... Completely remodeled the place. <laughs> yeah, maybe you I got mean, it at a discount. Sure it you're is, just a business you know. person. Or, yeah, you're just trying to flip it. I know it that... And, uh, but don't when, you have to disclose yeah, you have to that disclose information? Yeah. yeah. As far as I know, maybe it's a state-by-state thing, but I know in Nevada you have to disclose any crimes right. that had occurred in that home. Um, so he takes Shirley Vian into the bedroom where he then... Um, and they had a, had a conversation. Shirley was trying to keep this guy calm. He told her that he was gonna that he was going to rape her. And she said, well, can I have a cigarette? They had this conversation. She told him she was sick. She went into the bathroom at one point to, like, clean up or something like that. And when she came back out, um, he then tied her up um, and put a plastic bag over her head and strangled her. The children, um, the phone kept ringing during this. This whole thing was a mess for him once again. He didn't get the, the time that he wanted alone with the person that he was targeting. Right which was Shirley V, and he's got these kids screaming in the bathroom. One of them's trying to force his way out of the bathroom. He has to go back over it and, like, lock it again. Let um, me ask you something, dude. If, if one of these, real quick, if one of these people would have just resisted and fought him, do you think that he would have shot them? I don't think he would have shot them. Like, I don't think he would have just shot them and left. Well, the, the brother of the bright... The like, fact that the... Well, he had no choice there. He was... I don't fighting know. with them, like well, you said. I don't know. You I mean just the person like, that he was targeting, say Shirley, if she started to fight with him, do you think he would have shot her? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because he wants the joy of like killing her in a certain way. Yeah. And I don't think that he... But well, he was know. also over able Maybe to overpower not. the women that he was targeting generally. So, But just the way he that he... didn't have to shoot them. I don't know. The it way was, he accommodated some of these people is just interesting to me. I feel like if the they would have pushed a little more... He wanted the control over them, the power over them. So that was part of it. And shooting them kind of takes that away from him. It's like it just disables them right away, and it was right. no fun for him. Right. But the, like the way that he, she said, oh, I'm sick. I need to go throw up and have a cigarette. and what, Like he was perfectly cool with that. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Right. Like, <laughs> like see what I mean? Like yeah. Accommodating him in that way. I feel like there's ways to get the, get the leg up on him. Like with Joseph when he, when he said his ribs hurt, and he actually like, it's just so much creepier and ch- more chilling that he would like be nice to them for that one moment and then yeah. immediately like put it back over their head. Yeah, why like, don't you just tell him like, oh, I'm going to go to the closet and, and put on something more comfortable and just go get the fucking gun you hit in there right. and blow his ass away. 
Like I feel like there was there was ways that this could have been. You could have used him. You could have used his his yeah yeah his niceness in a like, way or say I conveniently if maybe if um if uh, Joseph Otero had a gun under his bed yeah. if he said like can you tie my feet to the bedpost yeah, and then grab exactly. the gun exactly I mean in a perfect world he let yeah, this but... girl go to the bathroom by herself before yeah. she was I mean. <sighs> Now, that's interesting you bring that up because the kids ended up escaping through a tiny bathroom window. <laughs> yeah. The older brother of the of the children, um, Steve Relford, he yeah. broke out a little window in the bathroom and was able to get his siblings out. And later on in a letter, BTK would say that those kids were going to die had the phone not kept ringing and had he not just like not felt good about the whole situation and wanted to get out of there. Yeah, And so he would end up strangling Shirley Vian, killing her. And he was going to kill the kids, but because the phone wouldn't shut up and like the kids wouldn't shut up, he just had enough of it and ran off. And then shortly after, they broke out and, and ran to a neighbor to report what had happened to their mother. Right. And um, he would end up leaving um, semen on panties found next to Shirley Vian's body. So he's leaving, leaving all his DNA evidence to later help bring him down because they didn't have the means to. Uh, he wasn't a secretor. You know, right. we talked about uh, secretors with, with the Green Bay Pachakilla. There was a small percentage of people that through semen you could find the blood type. He wasn't, unfortunately, a secretor, so they right. weren't able to tie his blood type, and they weren't able to match DNA yet to people. So they were holding on to that for later hopes that they could advance enough to and I eventually heard that, they would. Uh, uh, you can own, even the people that do are, are secretors. Mm-hmm. Like it's you're it's on not a, a perfect science still. Well, it not wasn't only that, at you're, the time. you're on a limited time. Yeah. So like after after a certain amount of time, all semen reads the same blood type or something like that. It all mm-hmm. reads like O positive or something. Or right. Something. And it only narrows you down a certain amount. Too. Yeah. But I mean, if you could say that, okay, there's a certain amount of people are secretors, which is a small percentage. And then yeah. of that, if you find out the blood type, if they're a secretor and right. they're that blood type, it's like that narrows it down quite a bit. And, but yeah, but even if even you still if have that, to have, you have a to be suspect. fast, you and have to be pretty quick too. You have to be quick and then you have to have a suspect to match it to. You know, yeah, you have to find absolutely. a suspect to take the blood of and find yeah. out. Yeah, so I mean, they had no suspects. Right. It's like leaving DNA when your DNA is not on file or anything. Yeah. Right. Now, after the layoff, he had killed Shirley Vian. Um, her parent, her kids narrowly escaped. It was a mess. Right. It was a mess. Another mess. But his next one was going to be like the Holy Grail. This was the one that he kind of hung his hat on. This was the perfect scenario. He stalked this girl for months. Yeah. He well, he made sure this was the perfect scenario. I think he was tired of tired of the there, sloppy work. Yeah. Yeah. No kids. He no made men. sure that she had no man, no yeah. kids. Yeah. She she no lived dog. alone. She lived in this duplex. She was twenty five years old. Um, he had been stalking the res- residence for a while. He uh, broke into a, um, her duplex via rear window. Yeah, it was like a bedroom window, right? Bedroom window, and a confrontation had happened um, in the kitchen. Right. And where he told her that he had a sexual problem and that he was going to rape her. And, um, and that's it, though. Kind of like Shirley Vian, she kind of like, like tried to play, uh, play, uh, play along with him and not get him angry. She, right. You know, she said, okay, well, let's kind of get this over with or whatever. Right. Um, he then led her to the bedroom. Um, she went to the bathroom briefly and came out. And when she when he when she came out, he tied her up and told her that he was BTK. He was responsible right. for the Otero murders, which is just horrifying. Like, yeah, it's just like I don't know. I, it kind of was like a chilling detail for me that he like made had to make it clear like who he was when he was about to kill yeah. her. But he never told anybody. Must until have been they a hopeless already tied up. Right. It must have been a hopeless moment for her. Like, oh, there's oh, no way fuck. that he's not going to try <laughs> and kill me now. Yeah. Telling her that. Yeah. He never wore a mask either. Yeah. So they knew his face. Yeah. I think he was naked at this time too, or at least from the waist down. Yeah. That's what he said in the confession that once he sent her to the bathroom, he also got undressed. 
And so well, I think came leading out up to a half naked man telling her that he's BTK. The book kind of talked about like in his writings and stuff. It sounds like he would go into these with plans to rape, but when it came time, I don't know if he was incapable or what. It's not that I don't think that he had a problem getting an erection. It's just that he just didn't. It's this it's need the, to do uh, it, or I don't know. It's the moral thing for him with the church. Like rape is wrong, cheating on my wife is wrong. But if I kill you, then no one knows about it. Therefore, no, then it didn't happen. Right. I don't see how he could, how he convinced himself that he believed in God and an omnipotent God and all knowing God, and then he tries to hide this right from people. Like, if you if, if that's what you believe, then you would believe that he could see you all the time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I don't get how. Do you think he believes? Do you think he really believed, or it just depends on just who went he along with it for the image? Obviously, I don't think he believed that, or he would, or he wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, but I'm just saying that's just what he said. It's just an easy way to write that shit off. Yeah, like anybody that tried to come to his rescue, saying, "Oh, well, he was such a devoted church member, and he was president, and right. he helped people." Well, like, okay, well, what about this? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't add up. Yeah, um, he would uh, end up strangling her to death with a ligature. And left semen deposited on a nightgown found next to the body. So must have masturbated rather than actually assault the body. Right. This one was interesting because he used his stuff. He used a, his belt and then handcuffs, but mm-hmm. then he didn't leave those there. Like he he put other he put pantyhose around her neck and tied her up with that after she was already dead. Yeah. Like for I guess well probably for picture's sake. Now oh, that I think yeah. about it, like it we said, it was sake, all right. That's what it was about. He took took pictures of all this stuff, yeah. and that's why he was able to take long gaps between murders. Well, I was just thinking that at first he might have done it just because he didn't want to leave anything personal behind, but it's probably definitely for, more for the picture's sake. Oh, he, he was a visual a visual killer. That's right. all it came down to. Some people are audio killers, and, and he was a visual visual killer. He yeah, everything had to look perfect for him, and usually that would mean he would arrange the body in a, in a manner after killing them. I think, if he he had had some, to. I think you have a little OCD. Anyways, oh, hundred percent. You know? They said he was, he was yeah. all about control. Everything was super organized, like at his church. Right. Um, it, it everything. Like if he had a suitcase, everything was meticulously organized. I imagine him like to them. You, you ever meet those people who are just like extremely busy all the time. They're just always yeah. wanting to please, wanting to do things. And it's like, what's really on your mind? Like, what are you trying to, are you trying to run from? from? Yeah. It's like, just take it, take take a break, man. It's yeah. okay. Like, chill out. But yeah. Well, this one he claimed was his favorite because he actually got time. Like there was no distractions. He got time to be alone yeah. with the body and do what he needed to do. And there was no male there. There was no animals. There was no nothing. Nope. It was just him and and Nancy Fox. And he was so proud of himself that he couldn't even like he couldn't wait to brag about it in a sense because mm-hmm. the following morning. After reporting to work for ADT, he left the office in a company van. He went to a job with uh, coworkers and whatnot and made an excuse to leave for a bit from the job where right. he then proceeded to go to a payphone at, a, I believe, a grocery store yep. um, and dialed the police and said, yes, you will find a, home, a homicide at the home of 843 South Pershing, Nancy Fox. And there was a little bit of a um, miscommunication between him and the uh, the. Uh, Operator who didn't clearly clearly hear the address. Someone else on the line but, said, "I believe that's eight forty three South Pershing," and he said, "That's correct." And then dramatically left a phone dangling, yeah. like a movie. Actually, I don't think that was true. I think it, it, in my book they described it different. What the call? Because yeah. you can actually hear the call. So oh, really? That, that is exactly well, what they, they said that she that the operator was just faking, like they couldn't understand to keep maybe the phone, not maybe they were on in the disbelief phone a little bit more. Possibly the, the operator was in disbelief of what they had just heard. Because I mean, we talked about how they didn't have 
actual 911 operators yet. You think operator is really surprised by something like that, though? The shit that they Maybe hear on new. the daily? I don't know. Because the person in the background was like, I believe that's 843. Like, heard it just fine. Yeah. So might have been playing dumb. Or maybe she was like, oh, that was the new person. Probably the person that said, hey, I believe that's... Shut the fuck up. Right. We're trying to track this dude. <laughs> trying to keep him on the line. <laughs> trying to get more information. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And what was crazy is that uh, there was a guy who had walked up to the payphone just before Raider uh, or during Raider's conversation. Yeah, saw him in there, realized they didn't have any change, ran into the store to get change, and when he came back out, the phone was dangling. He then picked it up, and the operators were still on the line, and they then asked for like a description. They had then notified the police, and the police were asking yeah. this guy who'd picked up the phone for a description of the guy who was just there. Yeah, and he gave a very basically the same description that everyone that had ever witnessed. Dennis Rader, a very uh-huh. just nondescript. He looked like a dude, just a dude he with was dark a, hair. He was everybody else. Yeah, he yeah. just, I mean, very basic Midwestern right. male, man. Like the kids at the male Vian household. Baldness, glasses, mustache. The kids at the Vian household said that he was a dude about mommy's age, like a male. They didn't have like any real details that could oh. distinguish him from anyone else. Yeah. As, as just a dude in his 30s. Wow. So, yeah, the, it wasn't a whole lot of help, unfortunately with that phone call, but he did put himself out there. He kind of felt stupid for doing it. He kind of let his emotions get the better of him. He wanted so badly to get credit for this one. Yeah. And so the police responded and found the, the body of Nancy Fox. And they would begin playing the recording from the phone call to the operator on the news. And there was also another moment where the book that I read stated that there was a moment between um, Dennis and his wife where she was she was standing there hearing the recording and said, that sounds an awful lot like you. <laughs> you know, like we saw, like, she had to have some suspicion. Okay, she listen, so she saying, finds the writing. She's right. like, he writes like, like you. He sounds he like you. He sounds like you. Right? I found those weird drawings you made. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> right. We'll get to another awkward moment between him and his wife soon in the story. Oh, yeah. And so he, wanting credit for this one, more so than just, like, he made the call and they still weren't necessarily connecting it to the BTK Strangler, this latest one, Nancy Fox. And so two months later, a package was delivered to KAKE, Cake 10 News, local Wichita news. Mm -hmm. Um, The package contained a poem called, Oh, Death to Nancy. It was a very corny poem that he had written. He wasn't the best poet, wasn't a great writer, was not good at spelling, was just not not a great, smart guy. Um, the letter also took full responsibility for the Otero, Shirley Vian, and Nancy Fox murders, plus an unnamed seventh victim, which they later connected to be Kathy Bright. Um, like we said, these these uh, crime scenes were so messy at times where like ligatures had been removed because the family members would come home and like cut them off of their family member to try right. and save them, or um, the, the uh, EMTs would show up and take these these off to try and revive the person or right. whatever. And then it, so they were unable to connect these. Um, motivating factors for the killer, which usually link killers, killings together and, and you mm-hmm. create a serial killer image. Um, so then they then later found out that Catherine Bright was one of his victims as well through these letters. The writer suggested some new names for himself, which mm-hmm. I don't know why. He's already put, been putting BTK on yeah, him. It's like, why not just roll with that, man? That's what they're calling you. It's working out just fine. But well, he had some other ones in mind. He changed are, his mind. Listen, you, your first idea is rarely your best. Right, but I mean, these are just shit. They are shit. So some of the suggestions he put in the letter, the Wichita Strangler, that's okay. The Poetic Strangler. Oh, my God. Because of his just beautifully written poems oh like, God. oh, Nancy. <laughs> oh, fuck. Death to Nancy. Oh uh, the Asphyxiator, which sounds like a bad, like, low-level wrestler. The Asphyxiator. <laughs> yeah, right? you got some corny wrestling the match. The Asphyxiator. Right? <laughs> uh, the, what is that? The Grote Phantom? 
The Garrote Phantom? I don't even know what he I don't even know what that's meant. in reference to. Um, uh, the Bondage Strangler, which eh, kind of it's on the nose. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes more sense than torture. The BTK, blind, bind, torture, kill, because he really, like we said, he didn't really torture, t- per se. Right. In, in, like, the historical sense of what torture is. Okay, garrote is to kill someone by strangulation. Oh, okay. God, that's just... No one even knows what the word means. We had to yeah. Google it. <laughs> like, you don't want to have to Google what... You don't want to have to Google it. Right. Wait. Oh, okay. So you're, like, the you're the strangling phantom. Right. That's pretty much what it... He could have been, like, the phantom strangler. He could, I, I could see the bonded strangler and then go by TBS and really just ruin their whole TBS. product. <laughs> ruin their whole product. That would, that would ruin it. And the Wichita Hangman, which, that's okay. I, I'd say a good hangman. half of these are just garbage. The Asphyxiator and the Poetic Strangler, those are just... And yeah, then the Garrote Phantom, garbage. He really thought he was more artsy than what he was. He did have a little <clears throat> bit of artistic ability as far as drawing. Yeah. But it's... It's because he did so much. He practiced it so much. Yikes. Um, this is the, also the first letter in which he mentioned Factor X, which we kind of discussed, which is later discovered to be just a demon, is what he meant, the inner demon, which forces you to kill. But isn't that just the generic term that psychiatrists had used to say why um, serial killers kill? Because it's not a certain thing for everyone. Right. So it's Factor X. So he just, that just shows you like what he a was blatant just, copycat he is. He's just corny and unoriginal. He is. He really is. I mean, later on... Um, a woman that would become friends with him when he got locked up. Yeah, uh, he would get he would give her exclusivity to as far as like interviews and whatnot. She, anyone that wanted to interview with him would have to go through her. Okay, um, she was going to write a book on him and whatnot. It, it just it just shows you how corny they are because like he gave her like code words like okay you talk to because she would end up talking to John Douglas and give right. him the right to talk to him. So John yeah. Douglas would end up interviewing him in prison, and like she had to like give John Douglas these stupid code words. Oh my god! Like the lion is strong. <laughs> like, oh my in god! In order to like let uh, Dennis Rader know um, how much he should tell John Douglas, depending on what code word she gave him, like just stupid shit. Like what a bunch of bullshit. He's just corny. He really. Oh, that's something we glossed over is the fact that like during these during these uh, murders and stuff, while he was creeping around, he liked to envision himself in movies. Like yeah. it was like BTK Productions. Like he was almost like a James Bond or like a John mm. Wayne character. I'm like, how dare you? Right. How well, I mean, Richard Ramirez thought he was like in a metal band video or something, and he's rolling around listening to ACDC and like, yeah, you but, know, with the sunglasses at night. And yeah, like, but Richard but Ramirez he was, was kind of doing his own thing, though. <laughs> he's also he, on meth. He was kind of doing his own thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was taking these song lyrics and being inspired, but he, but BTK, Dennis Rader was just copying yeah. people. Just everything, everything he did. He was just a chameleon. He just wanted to put out there what he thought people wanted to see or what would make him look cool or whatever. Yeah. He's like a very, a lot less cool Walter White. You know what I mean? It's like a guy that just got got tired. Nothing new was in his life. It was super mundane. And then he had these urges and he wanted to give them to him and he wanted to feel important. He wanted to feel like somebody who mattered. But, I mean, I think Walter White came to that realization much later in life, whereas BTK, I mean, Dennis was, he had these dark images from the time he was three, and he really did have some, like, sick fantasies from the time he was a child. Yeah. That is undeniable. I mean, there's literally letters and stuff from when he was in elementary school, and, like, you know, these little poems he was writing, and these pictures of him drawing up girls. I mean, he had a real issue. But he was fine for a long time, though. He was, yeah. As far as acting on it. We talked about if he was distracted enough, if he had enough going on. Then he could he could just live off just the fantasies fantasies alone without actually having to kill anyone. Yeah, but he n- never ended. I mean, even when he's at work, he's got like for instance when he's a um, when he's working for uh, ADT, ADT yeah. he's driving around and he's got like what he would call uh, paper slaves. He's got pictures of women that he'd cut out of magazines and he would fantasize about that woman being his captive. 
and he would keep the picture of them and like he would uh, uh, alter the pictures to where they were like t- like pictures of tied up. Right. He put their head on those and like he, every day was it was a, he was dealing with this inner struggle of this fantasy world. But sometimes it just got to the point where Factor X got so strong that he had to actually act on it instead of just fantasizing about. But the it. only reason it got so strong was because of <clears throat> these these moral limits he put on himself. These right. These, unachievable guidelines that he put for his life mm-hmm. or that his maybe his parents insta- instilled in him. I don't know. Yeah. You see what I mean? And mm-hmm. so like the only outlet was going to be two dead people. Yeah. He could only, only dead people could know mm-hmm. the real Dennis Rader. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he wasn't able to talk to anybody because of the fear of uh, being looked down upon. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's instilled in a lot of really conservative families. Yeah. Like my family, my parents are like pretty conservative, but I grew up with friends that were, like just so sheltered, and then as as, media, as soon as they get out, it's like everything is just happy go lucky. It's almost like they don't even have any real conversations with their parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like they're just acquaintances, and everything is fine on the surface, happy happy go lucky. And then like these kids leave, and they go nuts. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like they're just they they, be, they become drug abusers. You know, or, there's an episode of Black Mirror. Have you watched <clears throat> all the latest season? Uh, no, I have not. So don't ruin it for me. Well, there's like an, season three. There's an episode with a girl that um, there's there's a new technology that's out. This this mom has a daughter, and there's this t- technology that they put this little thing on on your. They install this little thing in your uh, child's brain because she lost her daughter one day, and, and right. she ended up finding her like an hour later. Mm-hmm. But it freaked her out so bad that she thought she would she would try out this. She'd be a candidate for this new technology, which was like a tracking system for your child. Right. They install this little thing in the kid's brain, and then um, your mom could pull up this app on her iPhone. Or I mean, on her uh, her iPad, they give her like this uh, tablet, yeah, and then she could literally see through a kid's eyes, and there was a GPS tracker on where the kid was, uh-huh. and it could also there was a feature on it that could um, filter the world around that child uh, per, when it pertains to uh, things that would spike the kid's heart rate, and when the adrenaline would go up, the iPad could sense this, uh-huh. or the 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 sensor in the kid's head could sense could sense that something was scaring the child, okay, was, was being uh, you know toxic to the kid's environment, mm-hmm. so like. This is what happens. So the kid would walk down the street, and if a, an aggressive dog was uh, at a fence barking at the kid, it would filter this dog. It would make a bl- like the dog a blur, and it would tone down the loudness of the bark. So she's walking by, and there's just this blur making a slight noise at her. Oh, my God. And that's the, the world that this kid lived in into its teen years. Oh my, that, that, and at a certain point, Metaphorically, she fi- that is exactly what a lot of these parents are doing. Right. Yeah. And so, of course, the kid, um, the mom finally turned the filter off when she became an adult. And then the kid, oh, or in her, like in, her teen, it, right? in her teen years, and then the kid discovered pornography and all this stuff. And then she went down this dark path of like, she got this boyfriend and the kid was a drug dealer and she wanted to do his drugs because she just wanted to like try all this stuff that she'd never even known about. Oh my God. And she it, it was just, like petting dogs. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh my God. It was crazy. What she are got, these? She got real crazy. <laughs> Stuck her hand right in an aggressive dog's mouth. <laughs> Hey, Mom, puppy. what's that large squirrel running around our house? It's not, right. Honey, that's the cat. That's, that's she scratched you when you were four, right? <laughs> um, and then, of course, the mom had turned off the uh, the vi- ability to see through the daughter's eyes. At a certain point, she just felt bad. But then, when the daughter started screwing up, she started. She pulled out the iPad out of the oh, attic, started looking course. through her child's eyes again, saw some shit she didn't want to see, and it all goes Whoa. bad. Oh, but man, I love that show. But it's it kind of I thought that kind of reference pertained to what we were just ta- pertained to what we were just talking about. Yeah, kinda. You probably just want to talk about. We're talking about well, how kids are that are so filtered. No, you're right. When they finally get set free, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
But I feel like there's a, a Black Mirror episode that could pretty much relate to any conversation. <laughs> pretty much now. <laughs> that show's amazing. If you haven't watched Black Mirror, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> right. <clears throat> so this this letter with all of his the, him connecting and taking responsibility for the Otero, the Shirley Vian, the Nancy Fox murders, plus the seventh victim that was later found out to be Kathy Bright, let it be loud and clear known to the police that they had a true. Ironclad, uh, yeah. yeah, ironclad evidence that they had a serial killer that was very violent and still on the loose, and at this, and, and they were kind of like in denial about it, I think, for a while, and they weren't telling the media that there was this dangerous offender that was just a repeat offender who was out there just killing random people, and now they feel they realized after this letter that they have to they let have the to. public know yeah. they have no other choice, and so the the letter forced the Wichita Police Department to make a decision, and they decided that it would be publicly announced that Wichita had an unknown serial killer on the loose, and citizens were urged to be extra careful about locking doors and looking out for each other. Um, citizens um, would routinely check their phone lines and, and their phones when they came home. They would immediately run to the phone, check to make sure they had a right. dial tone, or they would walk around their house to make sure that there wasn't anything like window broken out. I feel like I do that anytime <clears throat> the whole family is gone for any length of time at my house. You think? Yeah, I, I do that. Like, like. For instance, if we go on a day trip or a weekend trip or whatever, when I come home, I always feel like I have to go in first and like look yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just do. I, I don't know if that's it's smart. From, I mean, I've always done it. Even before we start, I started really digging into true crime. I just I always do that. I would just go and I'd look in all their closets. Oh yeah. I don't know. No I, doubt. When you come home from like a camping trip. Yeah. Yeah. You just feel like well, this place has been empty for days. Yeah. Who knows let me, what let me look happen. around, see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, these people that like tag themselves when they're on a trip for a week and like yeah, say exactly. On a vacation. Like, dude, just wait till you get back and before you start posting pictures of where you're at. You know. Right. Or because where you were. I don't know if a, if a lot of people know this, but you know, a quick Google search of your name, people can find your address. Oh yeah. So there's all this extra public pressure. Everyone's kind of on the lookout now for a serial killer, but it, um, he still nonetheless planned out his next hit, which was going to be in April of 1979. He broke into the home of 63 year old Anna Williams. And that's another thing about him is like, it's, they weren't able to track it like an exact type of person. It's like his age was all over the place of his victims. Oh, yeah. He, he was basically, look, basically looking for vulnerability more so than age. Vulnerability and just whatever fit his fantasy that week, I guess. Or if, if he saw the right person, he just wanted to see them tied up. That was all it took, really. I don't think he really didn't care what they looked like, to be honest. Because he could always change the fantasy yeah. later. He could put whatever face on them yeah. later on. Um, he would break into the home of Anna Williams, a 63-year-old widow who had re- recently lost her husband. Um he then sat in her home and waited for Anna to come home, except Anna didn't come home that right. night. That entire night, she did not come home. I believe she was out with friends and decided to stay uh, at her sister's home or something like that. <clears throat> or her daughter. Do- I think she stayed with her daughter that night. Yeah. She'd yeah. gone out and like played bingo or something, and she stayed with her daughter. And in the book, it described her coming home, putting her keys in the front door, mm-hmm. and then changing her mind and saying, you know what? I will go have some coffee with my daughter or whatever. Oh, really? I it think was it that was, close? I think it was added for dramatic. It's kind of dramatic. Yeah. That's, that's a movie scene. Yeah, he's standing behind the door. Please, please. please. But you know what? You God guys can <laughs> you guys can picture that to make it entertaining for yourselves. If yeah, you'd like. there you go. But either way, he was obviously disappointed by that. He stole a few items, and you said he left a, a stick and a rope in her bedroom or something. Yeah, yeah. We we're talking about this. She seemed to know. Affair, but yeah, she seemed to know that it was BTK that she had dodged. Mm-hmm. She was paranoid about it. She told her daughter that she knew it was him. However, they didn't attribute this break in. This was just a break in. The police responded to it. They did what didn't get out publicly that BTK tried to hit another victim. None of that got out. Um, and then in June that year, just days before uh, Raiders' graduation ceremony for WSU, Anna received a package in the mail with a poem titled, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You, Di- why didn't you Appear? Yeah. And you guys can look these up and read them. Um, they're, they're horribly written. So yeah, we're not going to. We, we have a hard enough time reading uh, well-typed things. So Right. And, 
Yeah, and a drawing of what Raider had intended to do to her uh, and a few other things had stolen were also in the uh, package that he had sent. The next day, a similar package arrived at the studios of Cake TV in Wichita. Um, Anna was ter- terrified and quickly moved far away from Wichita once she knew that it was, in fact, BTK that... I think she moved in with her daughter, actually. Makes sense. Yeah. And so now the public knew that that was his work and he was still out there trying to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 this took the media to a new frenzy, though, and it, it seems like after that he got so worried about being caught that he didn't ki- play this cat and mouse game with the police anymore. He stopped sending letters. He stopped sending packages. They assumed that he was either dead or that he was done killing. And right. He had moved away. Something had happened. And um, even though in July of 1984, Chief Richard Lemonian assigned Ken Landwehr to head a task force named the Ghostbusters and hired a computer consultant to work with them in an attempt to try and discover the identity of BTK. So they finally formed a task force, and they got mm-hmm. some, some real effort, like set aside people's duties just to fucking focus on BTK. Right. Um, they ended up doing some good work. They assembled a massive collection of DNA evidence seven years after the last murder, and um, investigators finished entering all their data into an IBM computer, and a list of suspects began to spew out. Um, the Ghostbusters task force discovered some of the most promising evidence during their investigation. One of the most startling clues was that uh, all of the murders had occurred within a three-and-a-half-mile radius of each other. Um, mm, this yeah. led the investigators to believe that BTK only felt comfortable killing in areas that were familiar to him, which was pretty true. That is true. But well, they still didn't have like anybody to really point well, a finger at. He they? was stalking in the areas he worked, so I mean that's where he was, so obviously that's where he's going to find his victims, in the areas where he was, you know. Wasn't he a code inspector at this time? Now? Well, we'll get to it. Okay. By 1985, as far as anyone knew, it had been a number of years since his last kill. Um, he was a busy family man, a person with no criminal record, someone apparently religious and helpful at church. He was now 40 years old. 40. Uh, he had a son of nine years old, and his daughter was six. You know, I think that had a lot to do with uh, his his little hiatus. I think it was because his kids were getting older. He's starting to relate to them as a father. And, <clears throat> you know, they they kind of took... You know, they took first priority in his life, and it kept him occupied. It kept him satisfied. He felt like he had a purpose. He was molding his children, you know what I mean? Probably being involved in their life. They're probably involved in extracurricular activities. Kept them busy. He didn't right. have time to, to to creep and stuff, and he probably wanted to be at home. I mean, even mm-hmm. as, as sick <clears throat> as he is, when you have a child, you have that connection. I mean, you know now. You have that connection where you want to be around them. You want to be involved yeah. in what they're doing, and maybe that... I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just trying to appeal to his humanity because I don't want to accept that he's a complete animal, but I don't know. Well, we know for sure what he was still doing was still tying himself up, taking pictures, doing all kinds of fantasy right. stuff on the side. They'd go on camping trips, and he'd be off for hours in the woods alone, uh, tying himself up. And, and, you know, he's the scout leader during this time, and he's but he's still, like, he's still enacting all these fantasies, and he's still got all these drawings. He's got so many drawings that he would later try to compile them and put them all into disc form, and it would take him a long time to do it because he just right. compiled all of these. Uh, and he also has memories and pictures from crime scenes now that he can, that he can pull out. Yes. You know? We've talked about that before with serial killers. When they get a little mementos, it kind of feeds, yeah. feeds that urge for a while. Yeah. And maybe he had quite a bit saved up here. So. Now, as far as the public knew, they, they assumed by 2004 when he finally reemerges, which we'll get to, they didn't think he had killed since ni- the end of 1977 with Nancy Fox. Right. Um, and, but, but in reality, he'd still been, he'd still been killing. He took a, a big hiatus from 77. He tried to, to kill Anna, which we talked about when right. she didn't appear. But he was being much safer now. He was planning things out a lot more. Mm-hmm. And from 78, when he, uh, when he was planning on killing Anna, he didn't actually kill again until 
the mid '80s. He took several years off, and but these ones weren't accredited to him because it, things have gone so quiet. And these last two kills that he does, they didn't fit his mo at all. He actually would go on to move the bodies, and like things were just different. Oh yeah, and they didn't. They really didn't see the connections there between the BTK and these killings. They were so older women too. Yeah. You know, well, mm-hmm. well, I mean, we knew that he was trying to kill Anna, who was, what, in her 60s? She was in her 60s, right. So it makes sense there. But so um, we talked about it by 1985, you know, it's been so long, and now he's 40. He's got these these two kids. Um, however, on his street, this is kind of goes against what he stood for and that, you know, don't shit where you eat mentality. Like he was <laughs> yeah. killing within three and a half miles of uh, the bodies were all close together, but he wasn't killing right next to his home. Right. However, he just got so infatuated with a certain person that lived on a street, a, a woman, 53 years old, named Maureen Hedge. She lived just down the street, and during walks with uh, with Dennis's wife, Paula, he would sometimes wave to Maureen, who enjoyed gardening around the house, just as Dennis did. He was really into gardening during this time. Uh, there's pictures of him gardening with his wife, by the way. It was just so weird. Oh, how sweet. Um, on April 27th, 1985, Raider was out camping with his Cub Scout. He was the lead, the, the obviously the, the leader of the Cub Scouts. Which, obviously. Dude, always look sideways at the Who leader of the Cub you Scouts. Want? Nobody can teach knot tying better than Raider. Come on, man. No, dude. You <sighs> can be a knot tying. You can definitely imagine him <laughs> teaching knot tying to children. It's just God. real creepy. Now, just think for a minute, kids. If you had a woman and she yeah. had. <laughs> yeah. You want to try a papa noose? <laughs> the papa noose. Could we just try it on sticks first? <laughs> <laughs> So he planned this out so well, it almost blew my mind, and it's so creepy that he would do it this way. He leads the camping trip for the Cub Scouts. They're out in the woods. Mm-hmm. They're having a good time. He's showing them knots and all that, and then uh, right. the campfire goes down. Funny and- story, though, real quick. It, it, they were actually doing cross-dressing. Like He was actually dressing up like a woman and like... Oh yeah, on the and side doing like little plays and stuff on the and side. They, it was there like were, a little joke. Yeah, there was one time where he was tying himself up in the back of a pickup truck. Um, no, it, I mean like he was doing that for like the kids for like entertainment, like around no. the campfire. Yes, yes, he would dress up like a woman and like like they would do like little plays, like little skits and shit. Now and they all a, thought it was just funny. Now if you're in the parent of one of the kids and they tell you this is going down, it's done. It's over, right? No more am I sending my kid off to the no. woods to be. Led by a guy who was cross-dressing. I don't give a fuck if you're about to be an Eagle Scout. You're out of there. <laughs> right. I mean, nothing against <laughs> that if that's your hobby, but I just don't really know if I want you doing that in the campsite around my kid. No. It just doesn't need to be going down. Right. You know? Do it on your own time. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be going down on the woods with my kid there. Mr. Raider, why is there blood on your dress? <laughs> right? It's, it's a little strange. So he takes them out there. They're on this camping trip. They have the campfire going, and then it's yeah. time to, for everyone to go to bed. He says he has a headache. He goes back to his tent. Waits for the kids to all go to sleep, and then he then climbs out of the tent, drives to a local bowling alley yeah. where he has a beer, spills some of it on himself, tries to make it look like he's intoxicated, calls for a taxi, gets picked up by the taxi, has the taxi drive him to his neighborhood where he and also Marine Hedge live. Right. Um, and he pretends to be so intoxicated that he's going to go for, you know, drop, drop me off here, I'm going to go for a walk. Right, I need to get some fresh air. Which he then walks through a public park that backs up to uh, Marine Hedge's backyard yeah jumps the fence into her backyard now he was hoping that she wasn't home he was going to go in and wait for her like he had done in the past right but he, he saw that her car was in the driveway and so he was kind of disappointed and he used a screwdriver to quietly enter in through the back window right. or back after door. he cut the phone line of course after he cut the phone line of course um he went inside and realized that she was not home that she had been out with someone else mm-hmm. um so he hid out um uh, in the house and i think in a bedroom closet yeah and she comes in with a man that she'd been out with yep um and the man, uh, short, shortly after leaves, 
they have some little you know friendly talk and then he leaves right and he waits her out she goes she goes to bed and he waits it out until she, he's sure she's asleep where he then um, comes out of the closet and pounces on her in bed just um, starts strangling her bare hands just strangles her no belt no no stockings no nothing this time just yeah well she was only hands. a hundred pound woman so it, it didn't take long on this one and he had known he had a better idea of what it took to strangle a person now after doing it several times. Mm-hmm. So this one was over quick, but he wasn't done with the body. He This time he was going to move the body from the location for the first time, which right. is part of why this that this didn't get attributed to him for like another 20 years, this murder. Um, partly because he didn't try to tr- take credit publicly for it for a while. He, right. was, he was in the dark publicly now. And so he takes her body, wraps it up, and puts it in his car and takes it. Where, where would he take it? His church. To the church. Why not? To the church where he's, he's high There's up, he's got there. keys, takes her body down to the basement, puts some black paper up in the windows to uh, make sure no one can see in what he's going to do because he's going to lay down plastic um, and he's going to pose the body in all different ways and take photographs and various poses. This was one of his, this was his other murder that went perfect, yeah. in his opinion. Yeah. This was the second one. Only two out of the ten really seemed like he actually got what he went in there for. I mean, keep in mind at this point, he's in the basement of his church with a body of a woman and he's supposed to be in camp because uh, he's the leader of the Cub Scout troop that's in their tent sleeping right now. And when you put it that way, it just sounds crazy, Lauren. It sounds <laughs> awful. God, I mean, you, you you switch words around, anything sounds bad. I you know, know what right? I mean? um, so he then uh, takes the body from the church after he feels satisfied. He realizes it's getting so late that it's going to be getting light out soon. And so he takes the body and he dumps it in a uh, in a ditch several miles outside of Park City in a semi-concealed um, area. He put some trimmings over the body, and he left the knotted pantyhose that he had used during the murder near the body. Right, which was a mistake. He did not mean to do that. Right. He didn't do that shit on purpose. Well, I mean, why would you? There's nothing to gain from it. Right. He wasn't, like, if he wanted people to know that he did it, he could just put out another letter. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, by then he it was getting light out, and he hurried back to camp and cooked breakfast for the kids. Woke him up, and uh, all was good. Well, there you go. Multitasking at its finest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had par- yeah, That's after he had parked Marine's car, who he'd used to uh, deliver the body around, and wiped it down from fingerprints. Right. This takes us to his next murder that no one knew about for a long time. Uh, a little over a year later, September 1986, uh, Raider had his eye on Vicki Weggerly, a 28-year-old mother of two. He would walk by her house hearing... Uh, different oh yeah he loved the way she played piano like he was just obsessed with she that. was she was a piano tutor right i think she was she, she, was, she yeah, did lessons yeah. she advertised for for lessons um like on her porch she had like a sign that right advertising lessons yeah um so he had her eye on her and on september 16th he took some time out for a project is what he liked to call and sometime after 10 a.m he showed up at vicky's door dressed up like a telephone repairman now this is after he had gone to his her neighbor's house and mm-hmm. pretended to be a TV repairman, gone in, messed with their f- telephone jack for a few minutes, right. and uh, he wanted Vicky to see him at the neighbor's house so that she would feel more comfortable letting him in, it's which crazy. actually kind of yeah. worked. It's actually, crazy the extents he but went it's crazy to that seem non-threatening. He would leave witnesses like that, you know? Like, he, would go, he went to the neighbor's house, went in their house, talked to them, and then he killed their neighbor. Like, they must have talked to the police and given a pretty good description, you would think. I don't know. Did they? Did those people know that he went to the? the I mean, next they house? found out their neighbor was murdered that like moments later or whatever. That does seem strange. But how do you describe him? I mean, like we said before, he looks just like everybody. He looks just like a normal man. There's nothing that really sticks out about him. Yeah. 
Um, so, so he went to her, her house, uh, told her that she, he was a telephone repairman. He even had a hard hat with like a logo that he had fashioned on there that looked like a, the telephone company and like a logo on his shirt. He somehow managed to let Vicky get him inside because he'd gone to the neighbor's house mm-hmm. and looked legit as a phone operator. He fiddled with her phone jack for a few minutes, um, improvised. He, he had made some like testing gadget that was yeah, some bullshit. like batteries <laughs> with a wire sticking out or something. Right. Um, little potato clock. He then, mm. uh, <laughs> right. He then presented a gun um, and told her his normal spiel that he had a sexual problem. Um, I, I wonder what made him change to just being honest. Like, what what made him drop the whole criminal on the run thing? At what point was he just like, you know what, fuck it. Listen, I got this issue. Uh, <laughs> this is going to go down like this. Right. So, I, I mean, I guess at that point you knew. To, I mean, at least to me, I knew that he had every intention of killing everyone that he encountered at that point. Because if you're going to just come up straight up with that and not even lie about it, if you do if you do not care what that person knows, then obviously there's no getting out of it right. at all. You know what I mean? He's already committed. He's like, this person's going to die tonight. Yeah. I mean, that's it. With the with the Oteros, I'm not so sure. I think maybe he thought if this if this woman cooperated, you know, maybe if I tied her up, maybe choke her unconscious or something, but maybe I can let her live. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then be out of town, but mm-hmm. or at least she thinks I'm out of town. I don't know, but because he never wore a mask either, so that that goes to say he that. wore a mask, but only when he was tying himself up and putting himself in well, graves yeah. and, and like hanging himself from trees in yeah. the woods. Yeah, he had a creepy uh, like white female looking mask. Yeah, that he would put on and he would take those photos with the camera that he you said that he, it had a little timer on it. But he didn't wear pants. It was really weird. God, they're just so gross. So fucking they're gross. So gross. If you look them up. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Man, they're it's dark. Because like, it's, it's like old grainy waist, 70s photographs. It's you like know? from the waist to like the top of his knees are the only thing exposed. It's so yeah. fucking creepy. Uh, his big pasty legs. <laughs> oh, did we talk about the camping trip he went on with his family where he went off in the woods to choke himself out for a few hours and he forgot to put sunscreen on and he came back <laughs> into camp with his family and he's got like a white neck and then his face is red. little awkward How conversation. How do you explain that How, shit? Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. You can't explain that. How do you? How do, his wife must have just looked the other way at times. She like, had I, to. I, I just. Well, like I said earlier, it's it's you want to see the best in people. I think naturally, the especially book, people that are close to you. We're coming up to a point where I might as well just say it now. The book at a certain point says that he, um, John Douglas, um, after going to interview Dennis Rader in prison after being convicted of all ten murders, right. Um, he goes to interview him, and then while he's still in town, you know, this is a small town in Wichita. Yeah. Um, he goes back to his hotel room, and there's a letter underneath that had been slipped underneath the door. It was an anonymous letter from someone that was close to Raider's family, and they claimed that Raider went on this long hiatus um, that we're about to get to, you know, from the 80s all the way up to 2004, in large part to the fact that his wife had caught him a couple times at the house with a noose around his neck that had been tied to, like, the doorknob or whatever in the bedroom. She had walked in on him cross-dressed with yeah. a noose around his neck and lost her shit on him. But he, the, one of the reasons that he had chose her for a wife is that he knew she wouldn't go public with it. Whoa. She searched... Out she, of embarrassment, right? Out of embarrassment for herself. Because she was raised even more yes. strict than him. Very religious. Yeah. And so she reached out um, anonymously to, like, help groups. Oh, my God. Um, she reached out to, like, a church and said that a friend of hers um, had a husband that was doing this. <laughs> and is there anything yeah. that... she had a friend had, of mine. Long story short, she ended up getting him self-help books and said, you better read these, and I better not catch you doing this again. She had caught him twice the second time. She said, ever again, and I'm, and I'm done. And so that uh, partially might have... The embarrassment from that, from his wife catching him in the act and wanting to obey her wishes, may have 
partially caused this big hiatus. He might have like really caused him to look himself oh, in the mirror a little wow. bit. Wow. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe he just got so worried about getting caught. I don't know because I mean, a lot of stuff he was doing outside of the house anyway. You know, he probably yeah. still would go to an abandoned barn or whatever and do this stuff, or go out in the woods yeah. and do it. But uh, it could have been a combination of those things, man. I did not hear that. Yeah, the book talks about it. Yeah, the, John Douglas got Very a letter from a, someone close to the situation. So he thinks that it was from. He's, he alluded there to any, that. Is there any uh, photos of that letter? Did he say no? That, you know, maybe look like a woman's handwriting, anything like that? No. no. Hmm, that's odd. I don't think he wanted to incriminate whoever it was. It almost sounded as though it could have been. Um, it could have been put up too because in the interview with Dennis Rader, he. He asked if um, Dennis's wife had ever known, and Dennis was so defensive about that. She never knew. He defended his wife and said she never knew uh-huh. what I was up to. Don't try and bring her into this and yada, yada. And it might have freaked Dennis out to the point where he put someone up to writing that letter, huh. you know, to kind of like help clear his wife's name in a sense, make right. her look good. Right. And so who knows? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's strange because you know she was putting putting pieces together, and then mm-hmm. you got to imagine they were having conversations at night, watching the news, and going, you know, maybe and she's going probably like, well, maybe we should, you know, make sure everything's locked, and maybe think about, you know, getting a security system, or, or I'm sure they had one. He worked right. for ADT, or maybe we should work, think about getting cameras or something. Well, you know, and well, he's like, well, eh, babe, when you're the eh. boogeyman, you don't got to worry about the boogeyman. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> that's the beauty of. It. <laughs> Um, I'll go make me a sandwich. <laughs> so did we really just like go on a sidetrack in the middle of a murder right now? Uh, yeah, we did. That sounds like us. God, we're terrible. So he, he had pulled the gun on her, and he told her he had a problem, and he led her to the bedroom. Um, she actually, this is terrible, he had, she had a two-year-old son who was in the house playing in another room while he committed this murder, and her husband was at work, and he was returning shortly. Um, he, he then attempted to uh, tie her up. She broke loose and fought with him. He ended up tying uh, tying a pair of nylon hose around her neck and strangled her, but she was not dead. He then took photos of her uh, naked, took items from her purse, and left in her car. Um, it ended up that Vicky did not die until later that day at the hospital. Her husband husband came home and found her still conscious and, and really just like right. not in a good way. And this is the husband that took a lot of the heat for yeah. her death. Bill Weggerly, this this poor guy, for the next 18 years, people looked at him sideways. He was a main suspect. Obviously, they didn't connect this to BTK at all. Right. And they didn't for the next 18 years. Bill Weggerly was the main suspect, but they didn't have enough to convict him for it, obviously, because he didn't fucking do it. And that shows you how how bad of condition uh, that she was in, that Vicky was in, because she couldn't even state that it wasn't her husband or was. They actually asked the two-year-old, and the two-year-old, they said, did, you know, did Daddy hurt Mommy? And the two-year-old said no. And so, I mean, the kid must have known, like, saw this guy come in, take the mommy to the bedroom, and then mommy didn't come out, you know. Imagine if that kid would have said yes, just on a whim. Right. Like, he's two years old, like, right. oh, my God. Yeah. So, this is crazy. So, in 1988, Raiders um, succeeded in getting himself fired from ADT security, finally, after a long run with him. The official reason stated by the company was that um, he was not getting his work quota done, because uh, he's too busy stalking people. Uh, of course. <laughs> and then the varying reports from coworkers describe a man who could be difficult to work with but uh, was customer-oriented. So I like to, like to impress the new people, but not well, so much. Like we said earlier, with. he's very OCD. I'm sure he was difficult in the workplace. Oh, dude, he thought he was better than everybody, yeah. for sure. He was that guy. He thought, like, his way, it's his way or the highway. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like he's, mm-hmm. he knows the right way to do everything. Yep. He then worked for the U.S. Census Bureau for several months in 1989 as a field operations supervisor, telling people what to do. I'm sure you get these that. fucking field jobs, man. Get this guy out of the field, <laughs> okay? 
Get put this him guy a, out. Put him of in the a fucking, fucking cubicle, field. please. Save lives. Seriously. <laughs> Make him a fucking tele- telemarketer or something. You think shit. he needs an hourly wage while he's able to stalk people? Uh, no. This is great. <laughs> he's getting paid to stalk people. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was then promoted to a state supervisory position after a connection in 1990 with the census. Um, it afforded him more ample time in the community to travel around um, in vehicles, stalking people. Of course. Adding more potential projects mm-hmm. in various locations around the state. Um, he then focused attention on his final victim, which would turn out to be his final victim, which was 62-year-old Dolores Davis. Um, she only lived about a mile and a half from where he did. She lived alone. Um, and using the pretext of being away for the weekend on a scouting camping trip um, in Harvey County, he again invented an excuse to slip away from camp in the evening. This was January 19th, 1991. Mm-hmm. He drove back to his parents' house, who were out of town, um, changed out of his scout uniform and into his hit clothes, grabbed oh, his yeah. hit bag. His hit clothes. He then drove to the Baptist church in Park City and parked his car. He loved to use his church as like a headquarters. Yeah, why not, right? He then set out on foot for the Davis res- residence. When he got there, Dolores was still awake and reading in bed. This was late at night. He waited out in the cold for her to turn her light off and go to sleep. He then threw a concrete block through her patio door. He had found the block in the backyard and just used it. Yeah. And then he had he was already, like, ah, fuck it. She lives alone. Like He'd obviously cut the phone line already as well. Yeah. Um, she came running out of the bedroom and confronted him. He saw her. He told her that he wanted to, uh, he, was a, he was a wanted fugitive and that he just wanted food. Yeah. And handcuffed her and went around the house pretending to look for food and other items that he needed. He made sure that the car was ready to go, removed the handcuffs, and tied her up <laughs> with rope. He then strangled her to death with pantyhose. Um, placed her on a blanket and put her body in the trunk. Because he has like more changing Jesus, up his MO. Fast forwarding this shit. Moving um, the body. <laughs> Hold on, real quick. Like in my book, it said that when he had threw the threw the block through the window and she came out, yeah, wanting thought a car hit it. He uh-huh. actually went with that story. He was. She was like, "Did you hit my house?" And he actually went along with it, <laughs> according to him. Wow. He was like, "Yeah, you know, and I I need help, you know, blah blah blah." And he gained her trust that way. He was like, oh, wow, you've already made an alibi for me. So, right. uh, yeah, I'll take that one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so after strangling her to death with a pantyhose, he then put her body on a blanket and drove uh, away in her in her car. Um, he placed her body out in the woods in a secluded location. Um, I heard that he had dug a grave for her before he even went. Uh, I think a very shallow one. I think it was more of just, you know, digging out a ditch. More so, just like he did with the with the previous body, right? He, but he was wanting to come back to yeah, her, yeah, which he did. Yeah, um, he took her car back to her house and found a gun that he had dropped. So this is twice now that he goes back to the crime scene to gather something that he had left there, which is smart in a way, but really dumb in a way. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah. leave the evidence, but also like going back is a huge risk. Right. He then returned to the site where he had dumped the body. It's where he could have his fun. Um, he'd found that the body had already been mutilated by some kind of animal. Um, yeah. He placed a homemade mask on her and continued to take pictures of her naked body. I believe he took the mask and put it on himself and took more pictures of himself tied up and just like I think he took pictures of him in her grave and just yeah. all kinds of creepy shit. He then you think so? You think he took pictures I, I've of seen pictures of him in a grave oh, that he yeah? dug. I don't know if it was Dolores's grave or just a grave that he dug for himself, God. but just I know he would like fake his own suicide even from like a young age. Yeah. He was doing that shit. Yeah, that's so weird. But he would always tie himself up, like he would hang himself, but his feet would be on the ground. So he of could course. lean into yeah. the rope and it wouldn't be dangerous. He then took her body and dropped it underneath a bridge. She was found 13 days later on February 1st, 1991. Um, only four months after this, Raider was hired by Park City as a compliance and animal control officer. This is like his mo- most well-known job. Oh, it's yeah. such a perfect Here we go. Job. Such a perfect job for this guy. Yeah. Because he, he always wanted authority. He wanted, it, it gave him the opportunity to look just like a cop. Oh, my God. He, Here just, we go. he, he almost looked indistinguishable from a, from a cop, from what the, the police officers in, in uh, 
in Wichita would wear at this time. And right. and the the office that he reported to was right next to the police station, so he kind of like had to make a left, and then the police officer would make a right. <laughs> like, oh my god! You know, you imagine him like making a right and then like doing a U turn at the door, like yeah, ah, someday. <laughs> someday. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his little fake badge. He just breathes on it. Yeah, so polishes it. This is the nightmare guy that lives in your small town that just gives yeah. everyone hell. Like, he literally would measure people's grass. Like, he was a combination of a dog catcher and a local code enforcer. But he liked the local code well, enforcer a lot more. Well, let's get it straight, though. He wasn't just harassing anybody. He was harassing women. Oh, yeah. He was harassing women. A good-looking woman would move into town. Yeah. And there was one story of Kimmy Comer was her name. She had just moved in. And literally, like, an hour and a half after she, uh, she like, pulled up in the U-Haul truck and was, like, unloading her stuff... This yeah. guy appears at her freaking driveway and he's giving her shit about her washer sitting on the driveway. Like, how long is that going to be there? I'm going to write you a ticket. And she's like, I'm literally moving I'm in. I'm literally right moving in, motherfucker. Like, There's a U-Haul right there. Right. <laughs> and he would constantly yeah. harass this woman. She had there was some code that said that if you had a uh, you couldn't park two vehicles in your driveway if one of them was uh, inoperable. Right. Both yeah. of her cars were operable. He he would come by and harass her on a daily basis, saying you can't have those two cars there. And she'd say. She would go out there and start both of them and say, look, they're both running vehicles. What do yeah. you stop harassing me? Yeah. My car just looks shitty. Give me a break. Right. And <laughs> no, it, I don't know. she said that it literally came to the point where like one day she was in her kitchen and like she came out in the living room and he was standing in her house. He walked in through the front door and was standing in there and trying to give her shit about some code or whatever. He was thinking about it, dude. He was thinking and about it. And she said she went crazy on him and told him, get the hell out of my house or I'm going to call the cops. And you know, I yeah. like freaked out on him and he, he just like turned out and left with his shoulders slumped dude, like Dude, he like was a thinking bitch. about it, right? Yeah, no, he, he was, had he to wanted to, but he's like, he, can I really do this in right? my work uniform? Like, in my work uniform right now? He wanted he wanted to kill her bad. Yeah, so the, she she felt as though she got lucky that oh, he never she killed did. her. She got super lucky. I mean, all, all the all of her neighbors and everything knew that he was obsessed with her. He would be like, she would, she would be gone at work and he would just be sitting in front of her house for hours in his work truck. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Wow, she got lucky. Yeah. I wonder what. I wonder what discouraged him. Honestly. Yeah. Maybe just all the eyes on him. It's just too close to home, and too many people had seen. Like you said, people right. people I mean, noticed it. Was it. A, yeah, people it was, noticed it. It would have been way too obvious. Yeah. But I mean, it's just crazy that he, that he was so blatantly like harassing women like this. Like you would think. When the police are still kind of like, obviously, it's not at the forefront anymore, the searching for the BTK because it's been so long at this mm-hmm. point. But still, like, this this guy is just, like, making himself a fucking... Uh, he's making himself a prime suspect as a creep in the community, just following people around, you know? Yeah. I wonder if some of those neighbors or if this woman had heard of, of the BTK killer, even though she just moved into town, like, and thought, like, God, this guy's awful creepy. I wonder if this is the guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, no, they didn't. Yeah. So this is the this is the long period, the long drought where he's just gone about his business. He's working as a code enforcer. He's got part of why, probably why he didn't kill for so long is he got the perfect job where he got to like live out his fantasies on a daily basis of just harassing yeah. people. And he's still driving around with his paper slaves, and he's still full creep mode like on the oh, side, yeah. like his private life. He's still doing all kinds of hanging himself, and he's got like oh, <laughs> he's still hanging himself on the daily for sure, right? <laughs> No, but he's he actually was covering big areas of town here because there's only two code inspectors in the whole town. Yeah, and the other one was a woman. Mm-hmm. But so like, yeah, he still had found a plenty big of time area. to harass a single person every day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure. They said that he would chase dogs around with tranquilizer guns. Like he really got off on the whole taking heard, out animals. I heard a particular story oh, where this he woman... let a dog out. Like he was getting onto this woman about her dog getting out. I heard he got one of them put down. Yes, he. I heard he put it down. Yeah, maybe he did just get it put down. 
It was but, weird, like in his confession, where he talked about people like that. He's yeah. like, "Well, I had to put her down." Like, yeah, we'll talk ah, about his confession person, shortly. His right. his matter of fact way of just talking about these heinous acts that he did, and it's yeah. just like, yeah, like he's describing uh, one of our days, just going Very to work. G- Gary Ridgway esque. Yeah, the way he talked. Yeah. Um, so by 2004, the BTK BTK killer case had gone cold. The uh, the uh, uh, task force had been disbanded many years back, mm-hmm. and it's basically like. There is a lost cause. They don't know whether this guy's alive anymore. We're talking we're talking twenty five to thirty years since right. since the last known murder that he had committed, like BTK killer had committed. Obviously, he killed in ninety one. He killed in uh, in the yeah. late eighties as well, but they didn't connect those to him. Right. So as far as they knew, he hadn't killed since seventy seven. The BTK killer, and it's now two thousand four. They had yeah. given up hope. They think maybe he was it, terminally ill. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's yeah. gone. Who knows? Yeah, he'd he'd. Uh, gathered up his luck and just ran out of town yeah. knowing that he was never going to be caught. They probably assumed. Um, but during this time, it was like the 30-year anniversary of the Otero family murders. Mm-hmm. And people were starting to get to the point where they wanted to write books about the BT killer case because like, it's an unsolved serial killer that re- wreaked havoc on this town. And it's been 30 years since the since the start of this serial killer with yep. the Otero family. And people want to write books and stuff. And he's seeing like these these... Yeah. specials pop up on TV about him and it re-sparks this love that but, he had for the media talking about him. Well, also, these specials were kind of taking liberties that that he He felt were his. Yeah, they felt were his. Like, they were kind of painting this picture of him and mm-hmm. that kind of pissed him off because right. there were certain things he didn't like. They're like, well, who is... That's not who even who true, yeah. bro. Yeah. I was there. I know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he felt like he needed to speak up. He was worried about this legacy that no one even tied to him. right. You know, it's just his ego brought him down, just like a lot of a lot of killers, I think. Yeah. And so on March 17th, 2004, he mails an envelope to the Wichita Eagle from a Bill Thomas Kilman. I'm sure oh, you can figure initials. out the met there, BTK. It contained three photocopied pictures of his own photos of dying of a dying Vicky Weggerly taken in 1986. So this is now they're like, holy shit, he did that murder. Right. Um, as well as a photocopy of her missing driver's license, which all but... Gave them yep. complete proof that he had done it. He signed it with his BTK symbol, which looks like a pair of boobs. And uh, yeah, the B does kind of. Yeah. That's what's on the cover like of the a book. Stick figure. Yeah, it's like the T is sideways. Yeah, yeah, it's real clever. I guess so. If you're into that kind of thing. The letter was forwarded to the FBI, who confirmed its authenticity um, as BT as a BTK letter. Um, an old cold case was solved, uh, being uh, Vicky Weggerly. But there was a bigger um, problem now. <laughs> Right, BTK is back. back. Just, the, of, obviously, the fucking community is in complete shock that he reemerges after 25 years. Um, yeah. As soon as the story hit the media, BTK was suddenly back in the spotlight like never before. This time was added with a new dimension of the internet. Ooh, times have changed. That's right. The future now. Welcome to the future. The future's BTK. gonna catch this guy, <laughs> and it did. Um, discussion boards, chat rooms, websites sprouted up. Dedication to the unsolved mystery of the BTK. So it consumed the media in Wichita and beyond. So it was, it was kind of going nationwide, which is what he always wanted. Yep, and, that's and right. He didn't realize that, like, look, he may not have gotten been able to get nationwide notoriety in the 70s, but in the 2000s with the internets, anything's possible. <laughs> with the internets? <laughs> 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 um, the dust hadn't begun to settle when Raiders sent a second letter, this time to to uh, Cake, Cake TV, the local Wichita ABC affiliate, yeah. on May 5th, 2004. This was a lengthy word puzzle consisting of columns and letters and a few numbers mixed in. Really shitty puzzle. It was not Zodiac quality. Mm-mm. The FBI verified that this also came from the BTK as he characteristically used his unique signature but also couldn't make any 
particular sense out of the of the puzzle. Right. It Maybe. just had stupid like keywords in it, but it really didn't trace to anything. <laughs> he's it's like just, kill. Man, he's reaching, man. Serial. Uh, <laughs> torture. <laughs> uh, on June 9th, 2004, Raider left a package taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas in the middle of the city. This contained a disturbing collection of documents, including a letter detailing the grisly murders of the Otero family and a sketch of a nude bound female hanging from a rope. Um, 11-year-old Josephine Otero had been hanged by a rope in the basement. We know that. That's so he contained a photo of Josephine. Right. Um, and there was a sketch that labeled, The Sexual Thrill is My Bill. Also enclosed was a chapter list entitled The BTK Story. So he was basically, was the, this was the first chapter to this book that he was going to write. Because right. this local lawyer, how dare he write a book about me? Yeah. What does he know? Right. Bastard. Um, chapter one of this book was A Serial Killer is Born. Ooh, <laughs> the BTK Productions presents right. a serial killer is born. And then on July 17th, he's just loving this, man. It, it, he's back oh, in the limelight after all these dull years of living a normal life with right. a family and everything. On July 17th, 2004, a package marked BTK was found in a book return at the Wichita Public Library downtown. It contained a worrisome message. I have spotted a female that I think lives alone and or is a spotted latchkey kid. Just go to just got to go to work out the details. I'm much older now, and I and have conditions myself terribly. It's hard to read his writings because he's so bad at writing. Oh, sorry, he's, and I'm he's not awful. the best reader anyway. Okay. Also, my thinking process is not sharp as it used as it uses to be. Uses to be. I think fall or winter would be just about right for the hit. All in caps. <laughs> Got to do it this year or next. Time is running out for me. The same package contained an intriguing claim that BT, he BTK had engineered the death of a 19 year old man from. Argonia, yeah, this was bullshit. So this kid, Jake Allen, a 19-year-old scholar, student, and athlete, um, had committed suicide by laying on railroad tracks 12 days earlier to when he wrote this letter, and he tried to take credit for it by saying that he had lured the young man to death via his series of computer chats, which I don't even know if he could figure out how to chat on a computer. The dude can barely use a computer. That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) If you know how this guy got caught, there's no way. (laughs) But what's what's beautiful about it, though, like he was actually really smart – Lead invest the lead investigator later said that this put them on a, such a wild goose chase. It had to do with like eyeglasses, because they knew that they'd figured out the BTK wore glasses. They yeah. they had made some connections between letters he had written about um, his victims and like them being uh, optometrists. And like this kid was um, going to school to become an optometrist, optometrist, mm-hmm. and he had gotten caught with some friends with some beer, and like that's why he committed suicide. Like he thought that that had ruined his chances to become an optometrist. And wow. so that connection between knowing BTK wore glasses and this kid being in an uh, optometry school mm-hmm. or wanted to become an optometrist, they, they thought that there was something there. What a and fucking they, like, stretch. They went on this wild goose chase to try and figure out, you know, try and find a connection and see who sent this kid to death. And, like, it was all a waste of time. The oh, claim yeah. was later disproven as a hoax as there was no evidence that Alan had ever had any such interaction on the internet with anyone and, and his death is still seen as a suicide. Doesn't he know that everything on the internet is still on the internet? Like, right. <laughs> yeah so much he doesn't know yeah um so despite huge pressure from the public the police refused to release many details of the packages from june it was feared basically that uh, these things could provoke btk in a killing frenzy right um the fifth drop occurs on october 22nd 2004 when a ups worker found a strange envelope while picking up the contents of a ups box um this consisted of very disturbing assortment of cards and images posted to them he liked to use uh postcards a lot yeah um, there was also a collage of pictures of children and bindings drawn across their bodies and faces. This envelope 
um, also contained what BTK claimed to be his autobiography, listing a number of details about his life, such as being born in 1939, his father dying in the war, mother dated a railroad detective, and so on. And so it was sprinkled with truth, mm-hmm. but it was he was just basically trying to completely derail them. It almost seemed yeah. like he was like panicking about being caught. Maybe he thought this lawyer was going to put all this information out there and someone was going to figure out who he right. was because of this lawyer's book. I'm, I'm starting to now, think maybe that's what this information, is about. Because it, all of these letters he's sending out are not mainly to get attention. It seems like he's just trying to throw the investigators off the course of finding him. Yeah, possibly. He's just throwing a bunch of misinformation in. Because like, of all this railroad shit, they arrested the wrong guy. Yeah. Not too long after this. Right. It's just, he, it almost seems like all those letters now are just, they're in, there's a different motive to, motive to them. They're not mm-hmm. for his pleasure. They're just to try and help him not get caught. Right. Um, now it's around this time the Wichita Police Department they decide uh, with the help of, of, of my guy uh, at the FBI they decide that they need to, to create a super cop and they need to create a guy that can, that can speak one on one through the media to this killer and try to create a connection to get him to trust the, the cop and they choose Ken Lanweir who is the detective, lead detective and lieutenant Right. and so they, they start having Ken like speak to the media and speak almost directly to yeah. the killer, and like you know how he always wanted to be a cop. Yep. And this is what ends up bringing this bastard down. He had down. a weird respect for Lanweir. Yeah, that's he, what they would. They hope this would absolutely happen. worked in their favor. It was right. genius. Yeah. So they they started to uh, develop a relationship, and he would start um, actually writing to Ken in a sense when he would write these letters. Yeah. So Raiders Six Drop would be found on December fourteenth, two thousand four, when a man walking through Murdoch Park uh, noticed a package wrapped in white plastic leaning against a tree. Out of curiosity, he took it home with him and opened it. It contained a, a project doll. The doll's head right. had a plastic bag tied over it. Its hands were tied behind its back, and its feet were bound together. You can see pictures you know, of it. It's very creepy. Something interesting about this drop, you know he contacted the police or the news and mm-hmm. told them to look at this intersection, and, and supposedly they sent out like a freaking search party and looked all over this. There was like a college campus there, like a hospital or something near the area, searched all these campuses and could not find this fucking thing. And right. this guy just taking a stroll in the park, just, right. he's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. What's going on, cops? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's right here. It, it's, it's right over here. It's, right. What are you guys doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> and so like, just to, to make it clear, um, he's still up to his normal normal stuff in life. On January 1st, 2005, he officially became the new president of the church council at the Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita. Oh, good for him. So he's still moving on up in the church where he keeps bodies in the basement and takes pictures. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And he's not done making drops either. Right. So 2005 continues uh, the, the frenzy with the media and the, and the serial killer who just taunting the police. Eight days into the new year, Raider left a special K cereal box marked BTK and bomb in the bed of a pickup truck parked at the Home Depot. Yeah, but the only problem was the guy that owned the pickup truck... Didn't, didn't see the shit. Didn't give a shit. <laughs> he was like, let me throw this shit. <laughs> because you, if anybody's ever had a pickup truck, that's one of the worst things about having a pickup is people will throw trash in the oh, back. Oh, 100%. All the time. It's like... What the hell? I don't even drink this this drink or whatever this is. Right. It's like there'll just be shit in your truck. Yeah. Like all the time. So they're probably used to, he's probably used to it by now and just what well, he threw it out at home though, didn't he? He yeah. took that box. He threw it home. in his in his home trash. And then uh the the next letter that or the next message that BTK would send would allude to a previous package and it said he said there was stuff in that that they were like we didn't get a package that you know talked about that. Yeah. And so and he mentioned Home Depot, the Home Depot package. So they went to Home Depot the one in Wichita, probably, I'm sure there was only one. Right. They went to the Home Depot, they looked at the security cameras, and they were able to find uh, 
actually the first images of BTK, the, yep. this phantom that they've been looking the for for 30 years. The first ever. The first ever outline. grainy, <laughs> shitty images of, but they were able to, through measurements and whatnot, they were able to, to determine that it was a black Jeep Cherokee is what yep. they thought based off the wheelbase measurements and everything they could do from the camera. Right. And they saw just a grainy man drop throwing something in the bed of a pickup truck. Yeah. And the man that they threw that that uh, whose pickup truck it was, he would luckily he hadn't taken his trash out, so they were able to retrieve the package. Mm-hmm. Um, Which he wrote on it. He wrote bomb. And then I think he and it was said he used this cereal box because he thought that was creative because he's a serial killer. Yeah. Oh, so stupid. Good one, bro. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he wrote bomb BTK pre on it, is what it looks like. BTK pre, there's actually a picture of it. You right. guys want to check it out. It says bomb above the special K, and then to the right of the box, it P-R-E says BTK PRE dash. Yeah. yeah. BTK pre, I don't know. Right. So the box itself contained information about some of his projects and intended victims that he had watched or stalked. It also contained more misleading information on how he lived in a three story home in Wichita with an elevator um, and had a bomb in the basement rigged to explode if the house were invaded. Um, he also, this is for the first time he asks the police a question, and that's when this super cop, uh, <laughs> this this whole concept of a super cop started to sound like it was paying off for the police. Right. There, he's now talking to Ken Lanweir. Mm-hmm. He says, um, if he put his writings on a computer disc, would it be traceable? And he requested a response to be posted in the Wichita Eagle classified ads in the miscellaneous category using his code name Rex. And so he wanted the police to answer whether yeah. if you put stuff, you know, if you put a bunch of stuff for you on a floppy disk. Right. You know, and he also. Kind of like if you go up to a police officer and you ask, are you a police officer? They have to say yes. That's all bullshit too, you know? Right. And they, and he, well, he put in there, be honest. So, <laughs> I mean, they had to be honest, right? They are cops. If you ask a cop if he's a cop, he has right. to tell you he's a cop. I'm being honest. How about how I live in a three-story building with an elevator? Yeah. It's no, just so on, funny how offended he was. It's so funny how offended he was in the end when he's like, you lied to me. <laughs> You're lying to me. You bastard. <laughs> How is a serial killer supposed to make a living out here <laughs> if I can't trust the cops? Right. So they 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 uh they would respond to him and say no that it's not traceable. Of course not. You know, go ahead. Oh, and send yeah, it on yeah, over, yeah, sure, man. Send it over. So the eighth drop was another cereal box from the serial killer. Um, this oh. one, this one in a post toadies, uh, toasties, post toadies, post. Hmm? The toadies. It's a good band. Oh, okay. It was discovered January twenty fifth, two thousand five. Um. It was a postcard sent to Cake TV with a return address of S. Killett. I'll just leave that out there. Okay. Plus the address of the Otero house. Drop uh, number nine, stated the location of the Post Toasties box and mentioned at the drop of Home Depot back in January 8th. That's how they found out about the, the previous one. Right. The Toasties box was found leaning against a road sign on a desolate, unpaved section of North Seneca. Um, Cake videotaped the box without touching it and notified the police. It uh, had a brick on top of it and appeared weathered. It was later revealed to have another doll in it. This one tied with a rope around its neck and tied to a plumbing fixture, which you can kind of picture. He's basically trying to show that this is Josie, right? <laughs> Josephine? Yeah, Josephine. Josephine yeah. Otero, because she was tied to the water pipe, so he did like his own little... Yeah, it's like a little like a little U-trap that's underneath your drain. I can just imagine Paula coming out. Uh, Dennis, the bathroom's leaking again. <laughs> Woman, get off my case, goddammit! <laughs> I'm trying to send a message here. Oh, my God. He's <laughs> taking his own plumbing from under the yeah. sink. Wow. So he had reenacted the, the Josephine Otero uh, murder, which is not a funny thing at all, but he no. had used a little P-trap from a plumbing kit right, right. and tied it to a Barbie doll or 
Barbie's friend because it's got dark hair. <laughs> um, the 10th drop was another postcard that arrived on February 3rd. Again, sent to Cake. Return address was Hap Cakeman, um, a 1950s character from Cake's past. Um, the ra- Raider wrote, thank you for your quick response on 7 and 8. He's just loving this. Yeah, he is. Thanks. To, thanks. Thank to the news team for their efforts. Sorry about Susan's and Jeff's colds. What a fucking... What? <laughs> God, I hate this guy. What a cunt. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even want to read his shit anymore. It annoys me so much. You read it, Lauren. You're doing a great job. And he, he, had, he basically put at the end, test, test run soon. So he was alluding to the disc that he was going to send. He now right. believed because they had responded in the classified ads like he, yeah. he had said. And they said, Rex, it will be okay is what their response of was. Of course. So now he's basically telling them, I'm going to be sending a disc soon. And there will be, it'll be a test run, basically. Yeah. And so Drop 11 arrived at the studios of KSAS TV on February 16th, the Fox affiliate in Wichita. It contained a letter, a piece of jewelry, and a purple diskette referred to as Tesk Floppy or for WPD review. And detectives wasted little time analyzing the disc and found software on it from Christ Lutheran Church. <laughs> so they're all huddled around the uh, IT guy in the right. police department, and of he's course. like hacking into this disc right away. He finds that there, there's a name attached, which is... Dennis. Dennis Rader. And then there's a location attached, yep. which is Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita, which had its own website. Of course. And showed that uh, someone very high up at the church was a man named Dennis Rader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the group of detectives quickly drove to Rader's house in Park City, noted a black Jeep in the parking in the uh, in the driveway. Right, which was his son's Jeep, by the way, which is kind of twisted that he would use his car for all these activities. Yeah, it is. Um, Dennis was then placed under surveillance and right away when they really looked into this guy's history they loved what they saw as far as like a potential killer I mean they see that he wears glasses he looks mm-hmm. like a serial killer first of all he looks, he like, looks a like a freak killer. let's be honest at this age he, like we yeah. talked about he transformed into an evil looking man and then man his job older. gives him access to people's homes yep. he's all over the city yeah yeah. he lives within three miles of most of the murders yep oh yeah yeah so he was placed under surveillance while a subpoena was being secretly obtained for the DNA sample. And they were trying to figure out how they're going to get DNA. And they, they came up with a brilliant idea. They, he someone, was pissed about this. Someone had mentioned... Well, I don't give a fuck. I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Someone, someone had made the point that his daughter was going to a local college and they had a... Uh, what was it? They had a, a clinic there. Mm-hmm. And that most of the students that went to the school would right. frequently use the clinic and that if they obtained uh, a subpoena for uh, her medical records from this college... They, that they could obtain DNA from her and they could link the DNA to her paternal father right. and see if there's a link between the, the crime scene freaking semen that was left there right. and her DNA. And so they go to the clinic. They show them the uh, subpoena that they have. They obtain some DNA. It li- It's matched mm-hmm. to several crime scenes, including the Otero family murder. That's right. And they know they got their guy. And the day that they get him is a beautiful thing because he he had this he's a very structured guy as we've talked about <laughs> very routine yeah. every day uh, while working for the uh, the county he would go on his lunch break and within like two minutes of, of his lunch break starting he would pull out of work and he would be at his house and his and uh, his wife would already have made him lunch and so it's just another day for him pulls out of his work parking lot immediately followed by a white unmarked car and from there on helicopters police cars everywhere just. Yeah. He's just he's just in a uh, he's just stunned. But they also noted how like calm he was. Like well, didn't seem like everything ever anything ever got him worked no. up. Like well, he I mean, said he's been getting away with it for so long. Dude. Yeah, it was just became a normal thing. I mean, you th- you hear these serial killers that that don't get any heat for a couple months and they're starting to feel like superheroes. Imagine thirty years, right? 
and you're not getting caught still, it's like, mm-hmm. hmm, oh, shit. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe I am untouchable. Yeah. And so they loaded him into the back of a van. This was on February 25th, 2005, that they finally captured the guy that they've been looking for for 30 years. Um, and in the back of the van was Lieutenant Lanweir, the super cop that had gotten him caught. His buddy. When he entered the van, he said, hello, Mr. Lanweir. <laughs> and Mr. Lanweir, Mr. Lanweir said, hello, Mr. Raider. <laughs> and so, That's yeah. some pertinent information there And, of there course, for you. A, an immediate press release was put out. There was a whole... Uh, a whole gathering of people and um, someone for the police department made an announcement that BTK had been captured and the crowd erupted into mm-hmm. cheers and there was finally a sense of relief in the community yep. that they had gotten the guy. Of course, um, of course Dennis the church Raiders, was freaking out, though. The church was freaking out. Raider's family were in complete sense of disbelief at first. Yeah, His wife was totally in denial about it at first. But I um, think his wife accepted it more than the church. The church were the people that surprised me the most. They were all like, no way, you know, no, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like they stood by him for a while. Yeah. They really did. But it seemed like his wife was just like, yep, that's what I thought. I'm out of here. Yeah. It only took about three hours to break him um, in, in interrogation. It seemed like he kind of wanted, he wanted them to present him with whatever it took so that he could finally let it off. Like, yeah. All right. Well, when they showed him that floppy, yeah, it was done. They showed him the floppy. And he's like, they were like, just say it, Dennis, yeah. just say it. And he kind of looked, looked at the wall behind him and said, I'm BTK. Yeah. And so that's they had the con. They knew that it wasn't even going to be hard to convict him in front of a jury right. for all ten murders at that point. Once he admitted to it, because he'd already written, yeah. he'd already connected himself through all these letters. That's absolutely. So, I, I mean, he really could have put a give up a better. Uh, he, it was his own downfall of needing the attention from everything, or else he could have gotten away with this forever. If he if he didn't, even if he stopped writing letters in the eighties, like like he did for so long, he never reemerged in two thousand four. He never would have been caught. No, I don't think so either. No. Nope. If he would have just kept his mouth shut. He just rode off gardening with his wife for the rest of his life. You know that's got to eat at him in prison every fucking day. His own greed. The fact that he could have... Ego. He could have made it. Yeah. Um, That's got to eat at him. Dennis Rader would end up being charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences with a a minimum of 175 years. He just narrowly missed the the, uh, death penalty because it was reinstated in, what, 94 and so yeah. the police really wanted to pin another murder on him that was post ninety four, so that they could get him on death row. Yeah, but they they just they couldn't they weren't able to pull it off. And so after Raider was arrested, police looked into unsolved cases in the area. He wasn't linked to any. Um, so th- he now sits in solitary confinement in El Dorado Correctional Facility. He's done several interviews. Um, he says that porn nauseates him. He's bewildered by anyone that might think he's homosexual, and he felt that he never cheated on his wife with any of his victims because he never penetrated what? any of them. But it was strange, though, at one point in time during the confession, in the 30-hour confession that he yeah. gave in jail, he had talked about possibly be going homosexual in prison. He's like, I'm not above it. Yeah. He had, he had admitted to that. Hmm. That's weird, because the yeah. quote I said that he was... Maybe that was earlier on when he had been interviewed, and then he kind of changed his tune. Oh, yeah. Well, he while. didn't want that out, obviously. <laughs> what was crazy is what we, we talked about um, is him standing in court and the judge telling, making him describe every murder, all 10 of them. Oh, yeah, you got to check that out. The video is oh, on man. YouTube. And just, it just shows you how evil this guy is because he just does it in, in a way that you're just like, there's nothing in this guy. It's just so There's no emotion in this guy. There's nope. He told it as though he was like in a business meeting. Yep. You know, it was like yep. him describing the most mundane shit, but it was the most horrific shit. Almost like, you, yeah, almost like a, like a training video for how yeah. to be a serial killer. Right. Starring Dennis Rader. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. <sighs> so, yeah, it was pretty twisted, man. It was fun studying for him. It was. 
I just wish we had more time. But I, I, I hope we did a good job. I know you guys know a lot about this guy. Yeah, there, there's so much. Hence out there. the reluctancy it's, to do him for so long. So hopefully we didn't get too much wrong, and you know we didn't miss too much. If it's not, if it wasn't good, it's your fault, guys, because you just kept your expectations you just too kept, high. Well, you did <laughs> lower your expectations. Right. Everything will be better. Right. No, I mean you recommended it, and um, but I did have fun studying it. Though. Oh yeah, no, he was more interesting than I ex- I thought. Mm-hmm. I think he. I mean, he kind of capitalized on on. The media, and mm-hmm. I don't think that was intention. I think he was kind of like, you know, we, we brought up last week, we're like, well, he wasn't like Dahmer. Dahmer was, Dahmer didn't want the limelight and this and that. He enjoyed it, but it was kind of like Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy was going to kill whether he got credit for it or not. He couldn't, right. he couldn't stop himself. He had something in him, and that's the same with this guy. He would have killed whether it made him a celebrity or not, or whether he became a notorious serial killer. He was, this was an issue that this guy had. You think so? I feel yes. like he really wanted credit, though. But he, I mean. Why reach out? Why not just that, go about your business and... No, he liked it. Don't get me wrong. That, that became a new obsession for him, yeah. but the, he would have done Initially, it. Initially, you're saying... Initially, he, he was going to kill anyway. It wasn't about the publicity is what you're getting at, but that's not it why was he a killed. nice side thing. Yeah. Maybe that's why he continued to kill, maybe, but he, initially he killed not for the credit. He just... It, when it happened, he was like, ooh, I like this too. I really like... I'm getting off yeah. on people talking about me doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made him feel like somebody... Yeah. But it's got to be its own form of torture, though, because with, you know, Dennis, not talking about a Rex here, but, like, Dennis can't let that kind of shit out. I mean, he couldn't let anything remote. He couldn't even He couldn't even let out the fact that he, he looked at porn. I mean, that was, like, more absurd to him yeah. than killing people. I mean, it was just crazy. Like we talked about earlier, if committing adultery was just like, oh, God, no, I wouldn't do that. Right. This guy still sits, uh, sits in prison. Yeah. Still alive. I don't know what he is in his 70s or something at this point. Yeah, I guess so. He's getting up there. He was born in, let's see, 45. Yeah, be like 45. He's old 73. as 73. Yeah, 73. Wow. Evil still lurking in the walls. Yeah, he's 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 probably just wasting away right now. Oh, he is. I'm sure. He, I mean, he's sure he's still evil. I'm sure. You think he's uh probably had took a few lovers over the years? In prison? <laughs> yeah. I don't think he could take anybody anymore. I think he's been taken. <laughs> at this point <laughs> you think he's, Let's, one could hope yeah one could hope that someone's taken power back from him yeah really. a few times in prison at least yeah I, I think he's in solitaire i don't i think they keep him away from general pop because he's probably oh yeah he's too he big of a kids. name he's killed too kids. big of a name yeah 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 I, oh there was one point there was a couple things that were interesting that i from the book that i just remembered um at one point he was being transferred through the prison and like all the I guess like the inmates all when he was being walked down the corridors were like chanting BTK, BTK, BTK. And he goes, Guys, I'm not BTK, I'm Dennis Raider. They all just like laughed at him. <laughs> he takes himself so seriously. <laughs> I really so appreciate here's another, it if you oh, guys stop calling me that. Another really <laughs> funny story. So one time he was looking out the window, right? He had like a window in his cell and he loved like watching the sunset and stuff and he would write poetry about it and whatnot oh, in prison. God. And so he's looking out the window one time yeah. and there was one of the guys that worked for the prison who was out like picking up the, the yard like he was like doing maintenance on the yard outside. Yeah. And the guy looked over at Dennis Rader and flipped him off and he worked for the he worked for the prison. Yeah. And so he wrote like the uh the warden of the prison and said that it's really unprofessional of your of your <laughs> uh <laughs> of your uh Correctional officers to be flipping off inmates, okay. and so the 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 warden of the prison got over the intercom and told the entire prison. He goes, 
Uh, whoever the uh, the officer was that flipped off BTK, please do not flip off BTK. He does not appreciate that. <laughs> and the entire fucking prison just started like cracking up and clapping and laughing and everything. And his dumbass thought like. Someone said that like he he appreciated it. He actually he appreciated thought, it. He didn't realize Thank they you. were all laughing at him. He thought they were celebrating him getting the better of the prison. That's how his mind works. Was that his ego was so big wow. and like he was so about himself that what an idiot. He thought he'd gotten one over on the prison, but really everyone was just laughing at the guy. Wow. Yeah. He still thinks he's going out on top after all these years. <laughs> hey man, you can't lose if you got that mentality. I guess apparently not. You're hey, in such denial it's all about, about perception. The world yeah, I guess <laughs> it is. We say that so much, but yeah, yeah, it really is. So two forty-two for this one, almost three hours. Just like wait, we just can't keep them under three hours anymore, can we? Not for Patreon, no, because you keep picking these big cases, man. All right. Hey, this is popular studied. demand. Everyone wanted it. You ask and you shall receive. Yeah. If you ask enough damn times, I tell you what. I found really interesting in my book. I, I thought it was going to kind of trail off because it got through the crime so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like before halfway, like all the crimes are done. And I'm just like, wow, what the hell am I going to listen to for the rest of this time? But it talked about um, the point of view uh, from his pastor, Michael Clark. And then it talked about the point of view from one of the lead psychiatrists. And um, it was really interesting to hear their conf- their totally conflicting reviews. Like right. Pastor Clark, uh, like it actually this whole case inspired him to like look in exorcism and demonic possession and all this stuff. Cause he truly believed Dennis when Dennis told him, oh, but of course Dennis is going to tell him that. Yeah. You see what I mean? That's he tells just, people that, what they want to hear. Exactly. That's just part of it. And so like he actually went to these like courses and was studying like to try and quote unquote heal Dennis. Right. That's why he never gave up on him. Like he went to this uh, special like guru on demonic possession mm-hmm. and learned from him for like a few weeks yeah, and was just like soaking up everything he could. On it was like some some a Catholic priest that like really really you know specialized, specialized in demonic possession, and it's like this is how far he was going to try to help Dennis. Like he oh was that God. convinced. He was like, "There's no way that Dennis Rader could have done this." Yeah, and then the psychiatrist, you know, of course he took the complete opposite. He's like, "Yeah, he's like it's it's completely it's completely normal that Dennis did this. <laughs> like it's the fact that he." It's, it's it's a perception. It's the way he perceived things. It's not so much what happened to Dennis. His right. childhood wasn't crazy. Right. These events that happened to him were not crazy. It's just the way Dennis perceived them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he saw his mother tied up in sheets, and he thought, "Oh, I'm attracted to that. All women should be tied up in sheets, and they should." The average be person dead. wouldn't have thought twice about it. Exactly. It was... Exactly. Yeah. And then also the pressure that was put on him through his spirituality, through his oh, come on. his status in the neighborhood or whatever. It's his own pressure putting could, that on himself. Exactly. Anybody exactly. can do that. Exactly. I mean, growing up, I seen it in my own family, just on this much smaller scale, obviously, just how we, we couldn't let anything that wasn't perfect and clean and straight-edged out of our family circle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, God forbid, so-and-so at church finds out that... Michael's got a tattoo. That you were drunk the other night. Or, or yeah. yeah. Or whatever. It's just it's all it's all bullshit. Right. It's right. all a, a masquerade. And mm-hmm. he just took it to the extreme. He had and because these limitations were put on him, he wasn't able to talk about it. He wasn't ever able to bring it to the surface. I mean, what if what would Paula have said? She'd probably left him. I almost feel like with him, it, none of that. I think I feel like he had like a genetic defect, this guy. And I think it's very rare and I think it comes along once in a while. We talked about Harvey Glattman. There's like because it just seems like they're too it's like they they hit the same check marks. Like Harvey Glattman, it's like the same imagery is what spawned him to do that. Like what motivated him to do this. And it's like you see him pop up like once every thirty years. These killers that uh-huh. it's all about tying up the victim and it's the imagery of it and that's it. 
And it's like he had it from the time he's like three. You know, he had these dark images, and he started That's drawing true. shit in elementary school. And it's like, yeah, but the you could have put him in any childhood, any any setting, mm-hmm. and he probably would have been done. He would probably would have done. The yeah, same but thing. how would he have felt? In a setting where he can express that and he's not looked at like maybe, a fucking maybe psycho. Maybe it would have been different, yeah. Okay, maybe that's what I'm different. saying. Maybe he would have been a famous artist. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Maybe he would have made comic books. Yeah. Maybe he would have wrote something Maybe he would have drawn those, those like, detective magazines that he liked. Maybe he could have been an artist. For who knows? Yeah, if it was more if it was more accepted from his, in his yeah. society yeah, where you're he right. grew up. You I can see, I could see, yeah. Everyone's be, genetics also, yeah. like your environment, has a lot to do with how you your genetics respond to that environment, I guess. Right. And if you're never allowed to express that, and you're never taught how to express that, mm-hmm. or I mean, it could blow up like this. He's a mystery man. I don't know. He, I mean, he could have just been a psychopath that never felt emotion, and and he didn't know how to act like a human being. He just knew how to he knew how to portray a natural human being, but he didn't actually know how to be one. Right. That's, yeah. He didn't know how to express emotion. He didn't have emotion. Mm-hmm. He didn't have remorse. He didn't have empathy. You know, he's. Like he's just uh, an automatron, and he he just wanted to uh, fantasize his entire life, and sometimes they be, they the fantasies had to become real. Yeah, the fact that he was never taught how to express it is why I think why it had to become real. It just he had no other outlet. He had to keep it. He it had all, no other outlet. I mean, what do you do? Do you he had to live in the shadows? That's why he had to hide all his. And drawings. he lashed out here and yeah. there. That's why he had to hide all his drawings. He, and that's why I think ultimately that's why the people had to die. Is because if not, then those people know. See right, what I'm saying? You right. can't act it out on somebody and then they live because yeah. then now that person knows that you're not a perfect person. Mm-hmm. You can't. He couldn't deal with that. Yeah. With his OCD, he can't deal with that. I mean, you're talking about a dude that laid his pencils and pens out in the same area on yeah. his desk. This this dude can't handle. Which is it. why it might have affected him so much when his wife found him with the uh, rope around his neck in the bedroom and yeah. why he may have gone Absolutely. on such a long hiatus because he did view himself as He's not He's trying that to guy. erase that. He's trying to build that trust back. He has to have that trust. Right. He has to have that opinion back up to that that standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, All right. Well, that's that's it. We can't talk about that's it That's it. You guys already have your opinions like we're about going anyways. In, we're going in circles. This yeah. is some bullshit shit. All right. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the present. Hope you enjoyed that little blast from the past. But now get ready for some current stuff, like advertisements. Yeah, y'all stick around, because it's Oh My Gaia. Guys, why have you not tried Oh My Gaia yet? What's wrong with you? You just like using regular deodorant. You just like putting cancer in your armpits or something? I mean, let's get it. Let's get it, okay? Let's get on the same track here. You don't know what Oh My Gaia is? Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, you could eat it. Don't, but you could. There's a ton of scents to choose from. There's unscented, vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, and we even have our own scent, guys. The True Crime guys have their very own scent called True Crime Pine, of course. Because where else do you bury people than up in the pines? You know, people that are already dead, not not people you murder, of course. <laughs> but anyways, guys, True Crime Pine. And because you're a True Crime Guys listener, you can get 15% off your order by using the word creeper. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R. And you can get 15% off your order. Guys, no shave November? No problem. She's got beard oil. Perfect. Ladies, don't have a beard? No problem. She's got scented oil. 
Oh, she has a new scent too that I'm pretty crazy about. It's called Sailor. All right. And I don't know how many she had in stock, but she did have some True Crime Guys incense and they smell amazing. I just recently put in my order for some more. No joke guys, some of you may have guessed, but I burn a lot of incense. My, my wife really turned me on to them. She loves incense. And it's the problem with incense is once it burns out, it's gone. It's like if that smoke's not floating through the air, you don't have a smell. It's not like that with these True Crime Pine incense. Guys, the smell sticks around, it smells amazing. I, I personally love it, but anyways, get those while they last. They may be a limited item. So guys, hit up Omigaya. Oh that's ohmygaya.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore Omigaya oh on Instagram. All right, guys. So now that that's out of the way, also, guys, thank you so much, everyone who has reviewed the show, especially on iTunes. Uh, it's it's crucial. It helps a lot, guys. You may have noticed that we've been putting up more advertisements, more uh, standalone advertisements for podcasts through Wondery and things like that. Like, guys, these are really these are. I mean, you know, if you know Wondery Podcast Network at all, they're they only put out good shit. Like, let's just be honest, their stuff is amazing. So we always take their ads, and you know, they work with us. So you guys may see more of those popping up. Those will always be done by either me or Lauren. But um, yeah, we appreciate you guys just for listening. If you guys just give those things a listen, that helps us. But reviews help the show the most. That's how we get noticed for advertisements and all that good stuff. I'm boring you guys with this shit. Let's get to some shout outs. Now, uh, let's see here. We tend to only shout out the five stars, but we're going to be fair. We're going to be fair. Okay. Yeah, let's shout out anybody that gives above a three. I think that's fair. All right. Shout out to Er Bailey, five stars, fulfills my need for all day true crime. Ooh, go easy on that. You catch up fast. And then you're hounding us about new episodes, and then you're like, oh, these guys don't release enough. I'm out of here. So, so slow down. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Diply Doom, five stars. Thank you. Love this podcast. Very informative. Thank you. Uh, Angie Horror, five stars, all fire emojis. That's all you got to do. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Angie Horror. Uh, one six three eight four eight forward dash and symbol in parentheses forward dash question mark exclamation point comma eight uh, semicolon eight exclamation point three open parentheses squirt gun emoji squirt gun emoji didn't think I was gonna read your whole name did you but I did they said best podcast out there five stars you're amazing. <laughs> Uh, Jellybean1407. These guys get it. Five stars. Thanks, Jellybean. Appreciate that. Uh, VA1994. Literally not good. Oh, shit. I didn't mean to read that one out. Uh, go, uh, whatever. Fuck you. Uh, here we go. Uh, Diane. Nope. That's also a bad review. My bad. <laughs> uh, just underscore chill. Five stars. She says, I'm sad. Oh, I, I assume it's she because it says shell. But. Uh, I'm sad I've listened to them all and now I have to wave new episodes. See, that's the problem. That's what I'm telling you guys. Slow down a little bit. If you're starting to catch up, maybe just go listen to some other stuff. Uh, I hear Jack Luna's got a dope podcast out now called Crime Machine. I think we're going to run a promo for that. Uh, not not including this one, but Jack's a cool dude. Started out about the same time we did and uh, he's always helped us out when we needed it. So, Good luck to that. That, that show is probably going to be dope because everything he does is uh number one podcast five stars by tnt stud thank you uh new creeper and freeloader extraordinaire five stars 
Thank you, Diff's dad. Uh, somebody's dad. This is cool. Let me let me read this. I love this podcast so much. You guys keep me laughing through really heart-wrenching topics. Recently went all the way back to 2017 with Randy Kraft. One of the early podcasts mentions the origins of the Creeper Army. That's right. Glad to be a part of this awesome experience. I'm an old guy, but my youngest is studying to be in law enforcement with an emphasis on psychology and aberrant behavior. I recommend this show and I recommend this show and Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mindhunter is dope. She, uh, she loves your podcast. She's 19, is diehard creeper now. Sorry to gush, but keep it going. Nice. We appreciate it, brother. And tell your daughter thank you for spreading the word. Um, I wish I could listen with my parents. That would be great. <laughs> Not to my show, of course. That would be weird, but, you know. Uh, anyways, uh, hell yeah. Five stars. Thank you. Live fire. Five stars. Thank you so much. Jaboyette. Uh, five stars. K-Mag. I love being called a freeloader. Five stars. Thank you. Marty Party. I heard about the Bodies and Barrels episodes and had to listen. Now I'm hooked. Sweet. That was one of my that was one of my favorite cases to study. Not I don't not like favorite cases. Like, oh I'm so glad that happened so I could talk about it. No, not like that way, but uh, it was a lot of good discussion with that one. Um It's like crack, five stars. F-M-O-I-G. Binged every episode. You guys are hilarious. I need more favorite freeloader. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Guys, I hope I didn't leave anybody out. Um, if I did, thank you very much. And send me an email and we'll get you a shout out for you. And you can tell your friends like, hey, this podcast that you never heard of, give me a shout out. And they'll be like, what? You listen to that crime podcast? That's weird. It's kind of creepy. Not anymore, really. I feel like I feel like it's becoming very normal. Anyways, I'm gonna let you guys go. Okay. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening, for being freeloaders. Peace out, guys, and keep creeping. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.